Torrent Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North and welcome to the Forum. Our guest today is Daniel Ronstam, a Swedish academician who's fairly new to the Oak Island mystery, but has contributed with discoveries confirming the Templar Bacon RC lead, and who is in the process of preparing to publish his main research, which he believes to be major revelations in the field. Daniel has studied musicology, philosophy, the history of religion, and has specialized in esoteric and Eastern philosophy. His research interest is magic, the occult, and Western esotericism. As a profession, Daniel teaches film production. He is also a department member of Lund University, a filmmaker and an electronic musician. The last five years, he's become an expert in historic cryptography as a result of looking into the Oak Island mystery, Francis Bacon, and the Rosicrucian riddle, after stumbling over a huge discovery connecting all these factors together. He's not published any book on the topic yet, but if you go to our website and check his biography, you will find links to all his different sites, including the one called Uncovering the Oak Island Project, where he's released some of his research work, including what you saw in the episode of The Curse of Oak Island at History Channel, which featured Daniel. We will update his guest page with a bibliography whenever that happens. Now, in the following conversation with Daniel about Oak Island and Francis Bacon, you will notice a few sound problems. This is not due to poor editing or anything like that. On the contrary, we managed to clean the sound from a worse condition. In fact, the whole interview was frequently disturbed by all sorts of factors, and the line was disrupted 11 times. We've never had such problems before, except for when we interviewed Peter Amundsen, but then only in part two of that program concerning the topic of Oak Island. So, if you want to believe that the infamous curse of Oak Island is still going strong, we don't blame you. Welcome to our fresh new forum. Today we follow up on the subject that we started with Pat Amundsen about Oak Island and Francis Bacon and a lot of exciting things. To enlighten us uh, with this, we have with us the Swedish researcher, Daniel Ronstam. And um, he's uh, pretty new on the scene, but uh, what he has found uh, may be groundbreaking in the area of this research. Now, uh, welcome uh, to the forum, Daniel. Yes, thank you, thank you. So, um, I, I might start asking you how you got involved in this mystery of Oak Island. Yeah, it all happened uh, around 2010, in autumn around 2010, where a colleague of mine told he saw um, a TV show where a hole in the ground and um, with uh, water traps and so on. And I got really intrigued and I... Uh, I start reading about it and I, I have this like very intense, 
uh, mind. So I go in, I just flow into things like really hard, you know, everything else. Yeah. <laughs> That's handy. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I consumed a lot of books for about a few months and read everything I could about it. And, uh, and then I lost interest a bit uh, after a while. I've consumed a lot and I uh, started to um, hearing things about uh, Francis Bacon and, uh, and the Oak Island theory and Shakespeare and so on. I didn't know about Peter Amundsen at this time. This was uh, like a year before I even knew who he was. But, uh, uh, yeah, well, in March 2011, I, I discovered this connection actually on the internet, but uh, I was skimming through all archives and so on, and it was a complete freak accident when I discovered this. It was actually um, a cryptographic structure mm. on the, that I discovered on a complete freak accident, and that, and that was the beginning of a five-year-long uh, journey hmm. uh, into this. Uh, uh, and do you have any official background in, in cryptography and stuff like that? I have I have a little bit, not not too much before. Now I have because I've yeah. read it mm. a lot. But um, I was in you know com- computer cryptography. I, I'm a media guy, so I I, have, I know a lot a lot about uh, manipulating you know, images digitally and so on. Mm. And uh, and then I have um, uh, I have a Phil Kand in uh, one of the subjects is religion's history, and I've studied. Uh, esoteric teachings for uh, esoteric uh, movements in the Renaissance. So it was a combination of these two things that I think uh, made me manage. So. Yeah, it's the same thing. Experts, it's often they have some kind of natural background without realizing it that kind of just pushes them gently in that direction because they've already done the groundwork without knowing that's where they're going. <laughs> so when something happens like it did to you, you get confronted with it, and bang, <laughs> and it's there. Yes, yeah. yes. So that's great. But uh, the thing was, I, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know who uh, Peter Amundsen was. I didn't know who Penn Leary was. I didn't know anyone who was talking about uh, France Speak and Oak Island and Shakespeare mm. and the connection and so on. But but when I, after a year, when I found Peter's uh, documentary films, I actually discovered that. Peter has um, he has collected and also found himself uh, different cryptographic techniques that they use. He has a Freemason background, uh, as you know. So, mm. so uh, and and these these methods was even, was used in in my discovery as well. In, in where I found some of them. Yeah, right. So it's fair to say that uh, uh, you kind of. You, you haven't invented your own uh, approaches. You replicate what's already established tradition in your yeah, own. Yeah, th- there is there is a system that Bacon have used, mm. uh, uh, cryptographic uh, symbolic uh, themes, like with the three, four, five triangle, also with the, the Greek-Latin character ex- exchange uh, thing, you know, that Pedras has found out, you know, found proof yeah. of it. And, he, and he's talked a lot about that, so we don't have to go too much into that. Oh. But I want to assume now for a moment that uh, our listeners uh, do not know about what we're talking about, Bacon, uh, Oak Island, what are they rambling about? Or even if they have heard the interview with Peter, Petter, 
we say Peter for Anglophonic reasons, but they will still not know enough because we just had time to go through his work, and as you know, that's plenty. So I think maybe we should just start because you 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 become so involved in this. You're even involved with the History Channel people, <laughs> and we'll get there too. Yeah. But if you could just start with what Oak Island is at all, and I assume when you got the first tip about this from your friend, you didn't even know what Oak Island was. Did you? No, I didn't know anything about it. You know, so I had to read in on it. Uh, yeah. So what did you learn? Well, I learned that they have been digging there for two hundred years, and uh, they found a hole in the ground—a very, very deep hole that goes straight down with water traps, mm. and uh, a lot of artifacts spread out, stones and stuff on the surface, and then uh, a swamp mm. that uh, is artificial. Mm. They found out uh, later on, but. Uh, uh, and my immediate thought was, you know, digging that deep in uh, around the year 1600, that's what is, they found some yeah. C14 tests on, on woods and so on. My first thinking was it would, could be completely idiotic uh, to bury something of value that deep. Because? Uh, it would be mad uh, considering you know, if it was a mine or a weapon storage facility or something, but we, it'll be a bit more uh, understandable. But to bury something valuable, like a gold treasure or something, that deep will not be uh, smart at all. Hmm. Yeah, because people used to believe that there was pirate treasure and stuff like that. More, more let's say, nostalgic, romantic, traditional imaginations have been dominating, even though people have talked about Night Templars and bacon and all that. Yeah. I think still uh, the majority imagines it's like a Disney story, right? Yes. So, but even manuscripts, too, would be idiotic to bury that deep, I assume, if gold is uh, yeah. idiotic. Yeah. And why? Because it will be wet and uh, rot? Yes, you know, because it would be extremely hard to get it up. Uh, you know, even if you, even if you didn't do any water traps, if you didn't create the water traps and you buried something valuable that, that's straight down, like, it's a hundred meters, you know, it goes down a hundred meters, something like that. Oh, it's that much? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of depth straight down that they, they have, they have built stuff. There's an iron plate. I think it's down at 170 feet. I don't know what's that. Could we talk in meters too? <laughs> Since you, yes. we're both European and bring in the European audience in this. So how much is that? Yes, there's an iron plate at around 100 meters depth. 100 meters, yeah. And below that iron plate, there are like a mix of china and wood that are, that are splintered. So they have actually dug further down and like destroyed their equipment and filled the hole up. Mm. With that, you know. mm. and then we have 10x, of course, which they have found stuff, and that's even deeper. Yeah, 10x, just for those who no, don't know it, is another digging point. Yes, I guess there is two digging points there because you just said that they've been digging there for about 200 years, and obviously there's been a lot of mining and digging in, in these years. But there are especially two places that people are most focused upon, and one of them is the so-called money pit that we were just talking about, where this uh, stone you're talking about is. Yeah. And the other one is the 10X that you now introduced. Yes, the 10X was Dan Blankenship who, uh, who did that. One of the owners, right? Yeah, mm. and they entered into a cavity 
which he, he thought he found uh, uh, some stuff in like wooden pillars and a box. And, uh, and now the, the new owners put down uh, scanning equipment mm. and uh, confirm that there are man- man-made objects that depth. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, 150 meters down just wow. below. And we've all seen these pictures because they have been available since the, what is it, the 70s? The original ones, I mean, the film that this Dan Blankenship yes. made. And it's so... But it's very blurry. It's blurry, but it's so enticing. It's hard to make out, but you can see it's artificial. But of course, the problem is pareidolia, right? People can project whatever they want into it. Like, yeah. oh, that's a dead man lying there. Um, there's a treasure chest, there's a book, you know, all kinds of things. But now they have modern equipment, right? And that's what they've... Yes. Uh, and, and, and so far, they just confirmed that there is something artificial there. That's something else official. It might be uh, like a mining, a natural cave where the, they have uh, there are some remnants of people have been been there or something, or it's unnatural cave built by man. Mm. Uh, but anyway, to go that deep for for a treasure keep, it's not smart. But if it's a mine, then it will be more appropriate. But I don't think it's a mine at all. So I think it's the whole thing is. Uh, it's a decoy, actually, the same uh-huh. as Blankenship thinks, and uh, I have good reasons to think that. Let's get back to the decoy uh, later, but, and that's interesting. And I think you're on page with Pato too on this, because uh, he's a little skeptical to the... No, because who could have made such elaborate structures? One of the most frequent suggestions are the Knights Templars, right? Yeah, but that's too early. Yeah, if you consider, okay, if you take the, the coconut fibers, uh, C14 test, it would be more appropriate. But there are wooden structures uh, down there that are uh, around 1600. And also the, mm. the, tree, of, the tree of life structure that, uh, that Pedders uh, have a theory about. And, and I claim that I have proven Pedders' theory about that by uncovering the victory stone. And I saw it was, was handled on my man and, and tools. Okay, let's let's get back to that too. Let's stick a little to be, uh, around these channels first, because a scientific-minded person will probably presume, if he is to buy into this, that apparently there could have been natural caverns that has been mined later, right? Isn't that possible? You mean underneath the island? Yes, that that the first people who started this project, because there is other researchers that has pointed the Knight Templars to this place, and um, but obviously, like you say, it's very early for them to do such something so elaborate. But if there were already natural caverns, that couldn't people be that Knight Templars or others have just tweaked and um, adjusted them a little? I think there were. In the bedrock underneath the money pits, there probably was natural cavities because that kind of uh, bedrock is filled with natural cavities. Mm. And they could have used that and so on. But what I was about to see, say is that the tree of life structure is a renaissance construction. It's, it's no, no earlier than the renaissance. Mm. That is a, the Kabbalah tree of life design that Pedro uh, have uh, his theory, it's actually, uh, it's no earlier than the Renaissance. Okay. Is that because that's uh, when Kabbalah became uh, in fashion again? Uh, yeah, you can say that in, in Christian esoteric movements, the Kabbalah uh, came into fashion. But it actually was in the Middle Ages, I think, the, in 1200, the, the main uh, Kabbalistic books were written. Mm. Uh, 
yeah. Uh, there are different books, of course, but from different times. Which which could mean Knight Templars, still, if we want to keep uh, a completely open mind. Yes, yes, maybe uh, it could be the Knight Templar. Uh, the, the Kabbalah is is that that old, but uh, there there are later additions to Kabbalah throughout the the, the years. Mm. Because uh, Petrus Trace. Um, it's kind of the Knight <laughs> Templar trace anyway, because he's talking about this new temple, the Templum, right? And a yeah. replica of Jerusalem and all that. So so this is, even if it wasn't the 13th hundred century Templars or 14th hundred century Templars who did this, it's still their heirs who did it, if it happened in the 1500s or the 1600s or the 1700s, right? Yes, if uh, you know the Rosicrucians, if you think what it means, means a red cross. So, and the Templar flag was a red cross. Mm. Yeah, it, it could be uh, people that had inherited the Templar uh, objects or something. Could be that. Mm. Mm. Yes. Okay, so uh, so we have these uh, natural caverns that's uh, under the island, and then you were mentioning uh, coconut fibers and booby traps with water. Could you explain that for the novice listener? Yeah, there are an artificial beach at Smith's Cove uh, that has coconut fiber on it, and that had been two or three times carbon dated with two or three different fiber samples to the Middle Ages, around 12 to 1300. Mm. So, so that differs from wood taken from the money pit that has uh, been uh, carbonated to the Renaissance. But anyway, these this, uh, booby traps with the water coming in, uh, they intersect uh, some other holes in the ground. There are original work. We have the caving pit. And we also have the South Shore Pit that was discovered by Dunfield when he was doing some work around the Triangle. And then the rest of us uncovered another pit that was much shallower and closer to Smith's Cove. And this pit was covered in um, in like brick stones. And uh, he knew it was original work because it uh, was very old and it intersected the, the channel from the, from the Smith's Cove. Mm. And, and these uh, these um, other caverns, they were hidden. They had a roof and they had vegetation over the, the roof. So they were meant to uh, be hidden from sight. Mm. And uh, that's why my, my thing with the, the Kempton symbol, dual cipher, comes in. Mm. Yeah, we, we'll, uh, we'll get back to that. But yeah. um, uh, there, I've heard there has been... Um, uh, attempts in history and they tried to replicate it in History Channel too, I, I, I'd say rather uh, poorly and amateurishly but apparently they have tried to fill water into one of these um, holes I think it was the money pit itself and then just to see if they could identify these booby traps mm. could you tell us a little about this? Yeah, they put dye in I think they did that in the 19th century and and. Uh the, the brothers now also did it in you know, one of the shows with green mm. green dye, I think. And it's clever to use dye, right? Because uh, it uh, will be strong enough to be seen. Yes, and it, it pops up uh, all around the place. And I think it pops up at more places now than it did in the 19th century. Mm. They saw it in uh, all three coves around. Uh, the other, I think, I'm not 100% sure about that, but 
but you know now it's it's, it's blown up and uh, there's a lot of much more holes in that ground now than there was before yeah. after the original design mm, mm. yeah so they have found wood they have found these coconut fibers uh, by the way what significance does the coconut fiber have why is this a big deal it's a big deal because it shows that if the, if these are the same construction which it must be because the the Smith's code is, is was created to filter in water into uh, water traps that went to the money pit mm. so uh, uh, the designers uh, in the Renaissance used material like coconut fiber that that grew in the Middle Ages mm. and uh, if you connect that they must have taken that coconut fiber in in mass in massive amounts from somewhere and these two samples were taken uh, it was not the same sample of us uh, carbon date it was two different samples from different parts of the beach mm. uh, and i personally talked to bet analytics that is one of the one of the samples in 91 and uh, he confirmed there there's no contamination they, they sort that out so the so that uh, C14 test is correct, and it was also that in '91. Mm. Uh, so maybe they used uh, the coconut for packing, packing stuff with, you know. And uh, if they inherited something, then maybe they used the packings that this inherited stuff was packed in. Because, the, because that was common back then, right? Yeah, that's what they used coconut fiber for was the pack things. Mm. Back in those. Uh, when was both of these identified uh, according to the carbon dating? They were 1250s or 1350s or something. It was the same. So now we're back uh, to the Templars. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the Templar, yeah. Templar age, yeah. Because huh. there is these persistent rumors, not just rumors, but also research and traces and you probably you know about the Kensington Stone and all this. So so it is yeah. interesting if their hairs, so to speak, were to choose a place to put Templar artifacts, what better place than to follow the traces of their own forefathers? Because we know it's it's now proven beyond any reasonable doubt that Templars have been in North America, uh, if not anything else, then at least uh, via Viking Templars. Yeah. So, so it would make sense that uh, because if they did have hairs, if they didn't be completely crushed, as the mainstream assumption has been, mm. by the way, without having any evidence, it's just been a, an assumption. Then, uh, so if there were anyone there still who you know wear their hairs, they would know where their forefathers had gone. And uh, if they had uh, the means and the resources, they could replicate it. They could follow. Yes, and also you have the situation where Bacon, mm-hmm. Franz Bacon, he was uh, he was sitting in the in the board for both the Newfoundland Company and right. the and the Virginia Company, and that's above and below Nova Scotia or Acadia, was it was called back then. Yeah. So hang on, hang on. This is interesting. The island itself was called Arcadia. Arcadia, yes. And that's uh, that's ripped out of the esoteric myths. Et in Arcadia ego. Yeah. And um, also, uh, you, you're saying that he was in the boat, so he was one of the owners of this place, right? Uh, I don't know if he was the owner, but he was uh, anyway uh, in a very high position in both of these companies, both Virginia company. Mm. Uh, with Jamestown and uh, stuff that was just around the New York area. Then you had the Newfoundland right. uh, above. 
So he was very, very involved in the, the colonization of the very early colonization of America. Very interested in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, do we know who named that island? And and who who called that place Nova Scotia? Do you know either? Sixteen oh four, the French named it Acadie, which means Acadia, and that was because it was very beautiful and the. And the myth of Arcadia was very prominent in the Renaissance uh, literature at the time. Untouched. So they used, yeah, they used Arcadia. And then I think it was much later it became Nova Scotia. I don't know exactly when it was, but uh, if I remember it correctly, it was officially named uh, in 1604 to Arcadie by the French. Mm. Not 100% sure about that date, but uh, it was around that time. Anyhow. Mm. But um, the, the island was called uh, Acadia or Arcadia, but at some point the island got named Gloucester Island. No, no. And that's interesting. Yeah, no, no, yeah? this is, uh, you know, Acadia is the whole of Nova Scotia. Ah, the whole of Nova Scotia. Yeah, the whole of Nova Scotia ah. was called Acadia. Acadia. Uh, that's even more interesting because it means that first you have the name Acadia that can be related to, to the Templars. And the Rosicrucians, then they changed the name to Nova Scotia. That can also be because the old Scotland was Sinclair, where it was apparently where the artifacts <laughs> were before they were carried over, and then over to the new Scotland, the Nova Scotia. And then you have the island in Nova Scotia itself, first called Gloucester Island. Do we know anything about who named it Gloucester and why is Gloucester significant here? I mean, uh, sorry, uh, a colleague of mine uh, uh, corrected me. He said in English we say Gloucester. Yes, okay. (laughs) Typical Scandinavians to to say Gloucester. So Gloucester, why was it called Gloucester and who who on earth was Gloucester? Uh, I don't know that really. I I saw a little bit on Peter's documentaries about that, but I have not uh, gone into that uh, research about the island name uh, at all, actually. Okay, but uh, I I tip you off to check it out because um, I'm not sure myself, but from what little I've seen, uh, Gloucester was involved in the Night Templar thing. Yeah, it was some um, kind of uh, esoteric uh, movements. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and something about preserving a body or something, I, I forgot. Uh, right. Yeah, I think it was in the first documentary series Peter did, yeah, there was some uh, something about that. I don't remember it uh, yeah. too well, actually. Well, well, we've alerted people about it so they can check it out themselves. But my point is, none of these names are uh, coincidental, except maybe for Oak Island. That's a pretty trivial name, actually. But then again, Oak seems to have some significance here. Uh, well, well, they, there was a lot of uh, large oaks on that island that was different from other islands around it uh, originally. Mm-hmm. They're all gone now, but uh, they had some disease or something. But but it uh, it made the island stand out, I think, visually when it when it come in. Well, I heard that um, um, <laughs> a theory that a hypothesis that uh, they chopped all down the oak in order to mine, you know, to to build. Uh, and we have found wood, haven't we? Yes, they, they could have done that as well, cut cut it down both in the 19th century and, and when they made the original thing. Oh. Or they could have planted the oaks after the construction to mark the island. So it's, mm, it's mm. more visible and stand out. Right. But uh, have you identified what kind of wood they found when they have found stuff in these mines? Uh, no. I, 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 don't, I don't have info on that. 
Mm. Yeah. That should be significant, I think, too, to find out. Yes, it could be, yeah. But especially to carbon dated, I mean, that must have happened. Yes, what, what, I, what I'm thinking uh, is a bit strange is why they have not gone after the, the rest of pit, the cave in the pit and the south shore pit. The the, mm. the 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 diggers you know the, the brothers who work there now because if they go down there they could find original work still because there there are bricks on the walls on these uh, on these holes you know uh-huh. Dunfield said there was bricks uh, and the caving pits had bricks and also the rest of the pit so uh, if they find these uh, these places they can maybe share some some light on uh, who built it because. If they burned those bricks or created those bricks, they, they made, they did it with some kind of, some method. Right. And, uh, and this method could may possibly, I don't know, but possibly it could maybe trace more to, uh, to uh, who built it. Yeah, you should tip them off about that. Yeah, I have told them a little bit about that. But, uh, <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Well, as long as they're aware, because, uh, I mean, they call the shots now, but, um, uh, it would be a tragedy if the people who are involved there are not aware of the possibilities. If they're aware and they ignore, then it's on them. Yes. But at yeah. least people are helping and, you know, chipping in and, and, and like you did. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get to your, your part in this story. But I, I want to focus a little more on the island itself before we move on. There, they have found another weird thing about Oak Island and people, when you check out, if you are new to Oak Island, you'll find that it is probably the most famous and uh, hyped treasure island in the world. Well, I, I don't know even why they call it treasure island because no treasure has been found yet. No. But... No, but they found a lot of other weird stuff here and there, right? Yeah. Not just in these digging places, but all over the place. I mean, they found uh, uh, artifacts, they found markings, they found uh, stones, they found... Uh, well, maybe you can uh, update us a little on, on traditionally what has been found or claimed to have been found on the island during these hundreds of years. Yeah, they have found, uh, they have found Spanish artifacts of course, like shoes, and uh, they have found artifacts that can connect to uh, Renaissance Spanish uh, big miners or something. Mm. They have found stones, uh, stone piles, uh, drilled rocks, uh, large stones, you know, they're making up the, the Nolan's Cross. Mm. And a lot of, they have found a stone with the G cut on the side of it, like for Masonic uh, right. Right. They have found a, a collateral triangle that's also clear Masonic uh, connection in stone. What was that? Triangles? Uh, they have found a, a, a stone formation, ah. a small stone formation that, with stones laid out like an equilateral triangle. Mm. And an equilateral triangle, that's a clear Masonic symbol that I've been for a long time. <laughs> Could that be the reason why so incredibly many Masons have been there digging? Including an American president. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. The, the the early diggers were Masons, almost all of them, and uh, at least the projectors. And uh, they they knew this was Masonic uh, construction. I'm sure about that. Mm. It, it is a, an early Masonic construction. It, it can't be coincidental that so many Masons have been attracted to to the place. No, I don't think so. And they found coins, right? And they found coins, yes. And, they, they, you know, my, my theory is this, you know, because 
What I found shows that this is the these English projecteers. There's English projecteers, mm. and they're but the workers are Spanish, and they and that's not not coincidence because in those days, if you were a nobleman or a man with education in England, you travel around on a horse, you had fancy clothes, and everyone knew where you were. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and if you're gonna do a secret project, you can't use English miners because mm. they they can understand what you say and they could recognize you. Right. So what they did was they did to, they, they went to the arch enemy of England, Spain, and uh, hired the largest miners they could find, so they needed fewer of them. Mm. And then they took them in small uh, in boats underneath they didn't know where they were at all, in small groups, and uh, told them a fake story of what they're going to do. So each group did a small section of the construction, mm. and what told some story that wasn't true of what what they were doing. Wow, that's like that's exactly what uh, black operations how they operate today. This compartmentalization, this uh, false flag mentality, because that's how you can get away with a classified project when you need to involve outsiders. That's so clever. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And uh, you know, in in the 1600s, the early uh, 1600s, yeah, there were no people here except the Mi'kmaq Indians. Oh. Or the Mi'kmaq, how, how do you pronounce them? And they, they went down fishing in the summer times just for a few weeks, and then they went up to the mountains again. So there were no people there at all at, at large, uh, large times. So it was not colonized that part of uh, North America at that point. No, mm. n- not that that there, there were ships going around, but this is in a bay. So Oak Island is is way inside a bay, so you see uh, ships coming from miles away. Right. Uh, so it was very safe place to work at, and it's a huge project. It's a massive undertaking and very expensive. And if the projecteers were English, they they would need to speak English when they plan stuff. And and uh, if they had Spanish workers, they could just talk uh, English freely and then talk Spanish to the workers. Mm. Bacon spoke both languages fluently, but uh, so. So what you can do? Yeah, upper class people were educated, but the, the poor yeah. Spanish workers weren't they slaves, by the way, many of them or prisoners? I heard. Think yeah, Patton. they could, could have been. I don't, I don't, I don't have a theory about that, but it could have been. No, I think Patton mentioned that Thomas Bushell, which is this mining expert that was uh, closely affiliated with with Bacon, yeah. that he went to Spain to an area where. I forgot the details. People can check it up by listening to our former show. But mm. apparently they had uh, slaves or prisoners for hire there. And obviously these would be probably captured pirates or whatever. I mean, people who had little to no education. Speaking of pirates, wasn't this also... Uh, was this a part of the area where the pirate ships were roaming around? Uh, there were some pirate ships area, but I think there was most to the south of the... Of Acadia, yeah, uh, a little bit further down, where the, where the Spanish ships uh, went up with all the gold. Yeah, of course. W- what would the pirates do at a remote place where where there's no one to rob? <laughs> yes, but there, there were a lot of activity there. Where ship ship wise, sailing wise, there was uh, fishing going on okay. uh, outside in the sea and so on. So it was not completely empty. But mm. as I said, my home bay is a very large bay. Yeah, and uh, and 
there was no reason for ships to go in there if they're not okay if they were fishing, but uh, but then you see them from miles away. Yeah. Plus another thing, uh, the pirate hypothesis. I mean, those who 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 have a more limited uh, perspective about what this mystery is about. They think that, well, they could have gone there to hide their booty, right? Like uh, we read about in the novels and stuff. But like you just said, yeah. it's a huge undertaking yeah. for pirates. Massive undertaking. Yeah. I, I mean, they couldn't have, have pulled it off if they even wanted to, could they? No. And uh, they had no no uh, incentive to do it. No incentive at all. Because uh, why go so deep, you know? It's... Uh, and why spread out a lot of stuff on the on the surface to yeah. to give the place away? Mm. And uh, and I, I think you know the the money pit and the stuffs laying around on the surface is just that it's created to for people never to forget the project. Mm. The project needs to be in, in people's minds all the time until it's solved. Mm. Do you, uh, do you know Peters? Uh, let's call him Peter, so people know who we're talking about. Do you know Peter's yeah. uh, hypothesis about? He, he says that, uh, granted, his bacon and those guys who's behind it that they put the treasure map and the, the clues, so to speak, of, of finding these things in Shakespeare and the stuff around Shakespeare, the tomb and all this, and then they put the ability to understand it to crack these codes into masonry, like a kind of a deliberate sending out two different tools in each direction that needs to come together in order to pull this off. Yes. What's your thought about that? Yeah, I think that's, uh, he is absolutely correct in that assumption because, uh, and I don't think that Shakespeare is uh, all the places they put uh, information in. They have, spread it out and they have used uh, Masonic symbolism and uh, cryptography methods from the time that esoteric movements used mm. in order to, and they have used Bacon's name as a pointer ah. uh, especially in the Shakespeare works they put uh, Bacon's name they put it as an acrostic and telestic and mm. you know as Pedras and his uh, and the, the director Jürgen they have also found some stuff mm. And uh, I've also found uh, things. And uh, that, you know, the name Bacon is not there only to show that Bacon wrote his works. I don't, I don't think that's why it's Bacon's name is mentioned in Acrostics. It's because it's a, it's a wake-up call for future Freemasons. Yeah, if if um, if Bacon was involved in early in, in creating early Freemasonry, the first lodges and so on in um, in early England, early London uh, situation Renaissance, then my theory is that he put in uh, his name as a point of, as a wake up call for future uh, Freemasons, as he thought that future Freemasons should know that uh, he was the leader around the Renaissance. In their organization, ah, right, so he's right, calling right. for future uh, masons by using his name, and then also using uh, uh, masonic symbolism in the in the code and cipher work. Mm. Um, but uh, but apparently masonry got hijacked or degenerated, or how should I say, the forces of um, 
corruption of, of power at some point took over and they formed this United Grand Lodge and stuff just got uh, forgot or maybe didn't become uh, forgotten maybe deliberately this stuff was removed because ordinary masons were has not been raised in in this understanding so i mean there's conspiracy theories about this or the vatican the jesuits uh, or even that there is a segment within masonry the top elite of masonry that's keeping this these cards close to their chest themselves well, you have, you have a you have a bacon statue in the Washington. Uh, I don't know where it is actually, but you know the whole the whole Washington town is built on Masonic uh, geometry, mm. and you have a bacon statue in there. And uh, uh, but when when was this done? This was done very early, wasn't it? Yeah, it was still when quite when, early, when, not not as early as uh, when Bacon lived, but it, it was around there. Some I don't I don't know exactly when it was, but. Uh, Okay, if you talk to a, a 33 level mason today, he might he might not be aware that Bacon was uh, one of the earlier um, mason leaders. But you know, so it could be, okay, it could have been forgotten. You know, absolutely, it could be forgotten within the Freemasonry. But not not among probably not among those who built the first American, uh, at least Washington, because it was this project. Bacon made his book New Atlantis, which is a blueprint of America, mm. and Washington and, and um, Jefferson and all these guys who were the founding fathers. They were enlightened Masons, all of them, progressives, uh, revolutionaries. You know, fighting for the getting away from the Catholic uh, suppression. Everybody should be educated. Raising the civilization, etc. This was back when uh, I'd say masonry was fresh. I'm not dissing current masonry, but (laughs) there is a certain (laughs) cultural and historical difference between masonry back then and masonry now, I I dare say. I hope masons listening to this are not getting too, (laughs) getting their toes too stepped on, but that's my observation for what it's worth. (laughs) Yes, I know. uh, I'm not a mason myself, but. uh, you know, it's, of course, masonry has changed a lot. It has, but mm. but I think it's, it still keeps the the, the main focus, uh, and that is to to evolve like morally, to uh, mm. to, to uh, educate people morally or make them more uh, more aware morally. You know, and you are educated in the so-called liberal arts, uh, as they call it. These basic, I'd say, Platonic or Pythagorean, better to say, approaches to to educate or to to mature yourself. So, uh, yeah, I agree. There's a lot conserved still within masonry, but the Rosicrucians are probably an even more interesting lead here because the interesting thing is that. If we are to buy this uh, discovery and approach that especially Petter now is associated with, then there is no other choice than to conclude that the real or those people behind the Rosicrucian fad, because that's basically what it was, they were the proto-Masons. And uh, in a way, one could say that it is the elite, uh, it's the insiders, it's a special group within what became masonry, which especially have Bacon in in the center. And many current neo-Rosicrucian groups have, since the beginning, pointed to Bacon 
I mean, this has been a persistent belief that Bacon was central for a very long time. Yeah, yes, yes. Or, or it could be as uh, simple as the Rosy Cross and the Rosicrucians are a name that is uh, associated with the Oak Island project only. Mm. And that, that is the it's early Freemasons that created this with Bacon and the, his people. So that right. the you know if if you read the the manifestos from Central Germany, mm. if you read them very very carefully. And uh, and you know about Oak Island and stuff, you know, how, it, how it's constructed. You will see there are parallels. So they're, they're very subtle and uh, and uh, associative, but there there are quite striking amount of parallels. I swear, Daniel. Oh, this was my next question to you, because you were just saying uh, that you thought they had put clues out in several places and I, I, I was thinking then I have to ask him about the manifestos because apparently nobody is examining the manifestos of all things so nobody has uh, invested these uh, manifestos in this context with Oak Island before uh, except uh, perhaps you? Yeah, I had uh, I was um, uh, collaborating with a, a professional historic translator uh, uh, Paul Ferguson and he um, actually translated some of the more unknown uh, manifestos, Rosicrucian prints, from Latin to mm -hmm. English for the first time. And uh, wow. for me and also Adam McLean yes. was uh, yeah. So, so you're talking about not the manifestos themselves, but some of these uh, Rosicrucian alchemical printings or engravings that's out there? Yeah, we have, we have Pandora of the Sixth Age uh, from mm. 1617 or 18 from Salzburg. And that is very interesting, that book, mm. the those, that book. If you, if you compare it to what you know about Oak Island, if you know, know a lot about Oak Island, you, you see striking parallels they're not clear and precise so they're a bit associative but you see a lot of things things that you can relate to oak island you see bacon figure with the there's like two boxes and the bacon figure standing you see uh, I, I place hope in the future and uh, i'm sworn to silence that's it on latin of the two boxes and you have a, a bacon a figure that looks like bacon standing on both of them Mm. And uh, a lot of talk about, yeah, you know, the Fama Fraternitatis, go and search for a treasure. They say, my, my theory is the, the manifestos were created by this English group centered around Francis Bacon. And they were sent down to uh, to central Germany, to Tübingen, which was a free-thinking state. Mm. Uh, he had connections there and, and said, translate. Oh, we, know, we know that Bacon had um, his connections there? We don't know that. We don't know that, but mm. uh, you know, free thinkers all over Europe were quite connected at those times, you know. Yeah, around the court, right? Yes. But don't we know that Bacon was in touch with at least German esotericists? I think I read that. Could have been. I'm not. M Michael Meyer, maybe? Yeah, Michael Meyer, I don't know that for sure, but what I know is that in one of those manifestos, there are a phrase. Uh, I think it's on my website also, but we're talking about mm -hmm. uh, when you pluck a lute, uh, there's res ren uh, resonance and when you pluck the lute. Mm. And that same phrase, almost exactly the same phrase, are uh, then printed in uh, 
in some of Franz Bacon's work. I don't know if it's Silva Silvaris or he's talking about uh, experiments, you know. So right. it's ripped straight off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for some. So there, there are some connections, you know. Mm, for sure. I mean, we'll have the easiest case in the world if we want to prove connections between German, English, French and Italian esotericists at the time. Yeah. Uh, so that's not not something we're pulling out of our behinds. <laughs> no, uh, but uh, the but the Oak Island uh, approach that's pretty fresh and original in this context. Yes, but my uh, theory is that the Rosicrucian manifestos were printed for two reasons. One reason was to ignite an intellectual revolution, of course, that's the yeah. theory, and also in order to uh, to search to yeah. To say to the future people, go search for uh, for the Rosicrucian Bolt, mm. which is Oak Island, the Oak Island Project, let's say, not Oak Island, but Oak Island Project. Yeah. So, uh, so they uh, they're saying it quite straight off in the Fama Fundamentis. Mm. They're just saying about go search for the treasure, and they buried it. They buried it in myth and uh, strange things that seems like fiction. And it is fiction. Most of it is fiction, of course. Mm-hmm. But there is a vault for real, and that is uh, the Ocalan project. But but then then uh, Bacon has to be Father CRC. There can be no question. And the reason they haven't found his body must be because they have taken this literally and actually buried him there. I can't see any conclusion. Yeah, I don't know that, you know. But the the, the thing is that. This is all a theory. There's, there's, we cannot base it in, in facts, uh, this uh, connection between the Rosicrucian Manifestos and Oak Island. But uh, this is how they have worked. They're, they're working in, uh, in, in hints that they repeat, like very faint, insinuative hints that they repeat. And you have to see, you have to see the hints and, and the, re- the repetition of the hints. Mm. In order to, to get a connection or it's, it's very intelligent. And if you go the beautiful mind direction and you, you're mad, you've seen beautiful mind. Yeah. You see yeah, yeah, patterns yeah. all over the place. If you don't know how to analyze the hint like structures, mm. then, then you, you can't uh, get an understanding of, of intention or a coincidence. Right. Right. But you also need to know, you understand that you need to have knowledge about the context. It's not enough to see that they're center. You also need to understand, you know, how to connect it to it, right? Yes, of course. And you, ha- you have to know the, the context background, but you also need to develop. I work with a professor in mathematics here in Lund, uh, mm. Thomas Person. He, he had developed uh, statistical models in order to analyze uh, cryptographic structures, steganographic structures. Mm. Uh, alignment structures and, and stuff like that. And they have taken out quite distinct and very hands-on uh, models that just said, you know, this structure uh, has this this uh, statistical chance of appearing on coincidence. Ah, cool, yeah. In this book. So it's quite hands-on, you know. And you can, you, When you use those, you get an understanding. You get a little bit more understanding about Am I imagining this, or are they are they real? Like, uh, could this be intended? Right. And then when you when you when you work it that way, you uh, you can collect more hints and you get instructions out. And then you can qualify it, so to speak, by uh, can qualify, uh, under, yeah. yeah, understanding that it can that it explodes the coincidental uh, margin, so to speak. 
Yeah, sooner or later it does that. But the thing is that it's so extremely intelligent constructed by Bacon and, and this gang because it's not a cryptography. It's not even steganography. It's it's something beyond steganography because it's wow. it's uh, you, you you work with hints that you don't if you look at uh, an isolated hint you cannot understand if it's intended or not you have to suspect it's intended and then go further and then collect right. another one another one and another one but, but hang on let's dumb this down if not for the listener's sake then at least indulge me <laughs> let's yeah. say that uh, we are talking about a pattern because that's what we are talking about right they are yeah. putting small glimpses of a pattern yeah. and but the question is do you need a key to crack this pattern or do you just need to recognize it and have the context understanding you know also that's uh, different from uh, different structures you find you know in my in my main discovery there are very faint structures but then they can be verified there are verif- verification systems there's there's two two sets one you you understand instructions and then you use the instructions you have under you have taken out and if you use them right you get out the real the encrypted information but and uh, if you do it wrong you you can't verify the encrypted information okay but how do you verify it is it uh, by uh, comparing it to statistics or or how how do you know that it's verified uh, you do it by uh, decrypting another work another copy okay of the same it's uh, i can't go too deep into now because i'm in, no. in uh, negotiations so i can't go deep, deep into the structure yeah you can't reveal too much no i can't go real that but, but it's coming i'm promising it's coming you know okay at part two you'll tell the listeners who knows you and has followed your work you'll give them an explanation an update and a disclaimer so so that's okay but uh, for for the sake of uh, everyone now so when we're dealing with this phenomenon we understand that they have used several methods not just uh, cryptography not just steganography or you're saying that they because we know we do know that they have used those should we say effects or approaches also right yeah, they, yeah. but it, there's something more here in addition is that what you're saying yes there's something more there they, they are um, mm. what do you say uh, how can i explain it if you if you have a book and uh, you open it, and on the left pages there are text, and on the right pages there are just encrypted information. And in the text that seems to be about something else, that mm-hmm. this is steganography, there are uh, in, embedded instructions in the text that you need to use in order to decrypt the other page. Ah, so this is the steganography is kind of uh, how to get the key to read. Yeah. The hidden code. Yeah, how to get the system of, of extract information and verify it. And verify it. And verify mm. that you have done it correctly. Mm. Of course, a skeptic would say that, uh, well, you can imagine anything, it's pareidolia. But Pater had uh, several good points. One was that, and I think that applies here too, one was that, well, if you do find a lot of these things and they all point in the same direction, yeah. They kind of confirm each other. If it was just blind, dumb block, they would point all over the place in all directions, right? Yes, and they have built. They have built. In my main discovery, they have actually built a system where it's logically impossible for two, uh, uh, what do you say, two copies of the same publication that is encrypted, 
Mm. If you decrypt uh, one publication with a method, you get result, and you encrypt another pub- another of the same publication, and you get the same result, and the third, and you get the same result. If if these three works were not encrypted, you could not get the same result out of them. Mm. Mm. That, that's how they are built. It so the, the verification process is by decrypting many copies. Yeah, and you need a group of people to do that, or a very persistent one guy working many years. <laughs> a madman like you, yes, <laughs> and Pato. Yeah. But you and Pato's curse, and maybe especially yours. But I see this in Pato's case too. Is that your curse? Is that it's so sophisticated, it's so elaborated that most people. First of all, they won't fathom it. And even if you get them to start to understand it, they won't believe it. And even we see even experts in Shakespeare, experts in history, people who you assume would be educated enough to get these things. Even they don't take it seriously because they lack the necessary because you need, like you just indicated, you need a group, you need an interdisciplinary approach to understand. I mean, art history will confirm cryptology, which will confirm the history of esoterics, that will confirm the lore in masonry, that will confirm, you know, all these things has to come together for someone to start to realize what's going on here and who in this day and age where everything is compartmentalized, everything is split and rule, everybody is getting more and more specialized and you, yes. it's impossible. So I can see it's a very lonely and very hard to get that message out there. And let's face it, we're not, I mean, back then, it was the age of the lonely, how should I say, the isolated genius, the brilliant, um, you know, archetype, <laughs> mad, uh, brilliant people. Today, we're all more or less uh, mainstream on the factory yeah. <laughs> maze. So we, we can't match that level of intelligence, I think, anymore. Uh, I think there's also a problem with, uh, as you said, uh, this kind of subject just gets between two chairs, disciplinary. You know, if you, you have the, the literary guy, uh, the literary guys, I mean, the Shakespeare works have been read like hundreds of times, millions of times, I must say, but at least hundreds of times of people doing PhDs on these books. And none of them have even seen the very, very uh, like obvious structures that uh, Pedras found and others, like like alignment structures between Lord. uh, they, They haven't even discussed it in the PhDs. Because they are literal. Yeah. No, I'll beg to differ. Yeah. Uh, at least one exception is Brenda James that we're going to interview. Yeah. She found some codes pointing to Neville. But obviously her approach is just, she used this, it's not Oak Island, it's just Shakespeare and what she actually found. Yes. So, so I get that. But she, she too realizes there's what she calls neoplatonic connections here. Uh. Because it's so obvious when you go into it. But but in general, I agree with you. The academicians of today, they they get a huge, big fail. I mean, Bacon would be so disappointed, I'm sure, <laughs> if he lived today. Yes, you know, if, if you have cryptographers, they work with computers now. They do uh, computers, bank stuff, and cryptography. They don't look to old literature, you know. No. The, the, the old cryptography, the, the hands-on cryptography with the like pen and paper and so on. It's all, it's forgotten, you know. There's, there's some historians 
crypto historians, but they're not many. No. And especially not steganography historians. Right. That's way out. I know it's only a few, like Penn Leary and, and uh, Piramason, of course, and now me, but it's, we're getting more, of course. There's, you know, the whole Norway is, is doing uh, historic cryptography. Yeah, I, I hope we can uh, awake Sweden too, by the way. <laughs> they should, uh, now that you're on, on the team, <laughs> they should have an incentive to get on board. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. But you know, obviously, you know about Sigmund Jola? Yes, sir, from uh, Pedestal Documentaries, yes. Uh, Yes, and he he illustrates what we're talking about here because first of all, he's one of the most intelligent men in the world according to IQ and one of the leaders in Mensa. Yeah. So so he has to he has to apparatus to understand these things in place. And then we have the fact that he's a multi-talent, which just goes to show what we just talked about that you need different approaches. He's worked with this ancient way of printing. Yeah, yeah. The Gutenberg way. So he, he understood immediately when he got confronted with Petter's work that, no, this is deliberate. No, they would have to go out of the way. This isn't a mistake. This is <laughs> this is actually an achievement. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and stuff like that. And then he has several. He's an architect. He's this, he's that. So guys like him would get this. And Petter calls himself a maniac. Like he's got this <laughs> obsession with finding out. And I guess you're kind of the same guy too. And I, I guess that's what it takes in this day and age to, to try to nest up some of what uh, these brilliant people have left behind. Yes, yes, and I think Jumla uh, is uh, is Freemason also. Yeah, yes, I think he's yes. quite yes. So you you get uh, I don't know this, but uh, I think you get uh, some form of education, or you actually, or you have the ability to to get education in uh, in classic symbolics. Yes, yes, no, that's no secret. You, you do join the masonry, you get some study material, and and you get. Uh, oral tradition and the rituals and stuff so i will try not to step on the toes again but let's say uh, and i'm pulling this out of my ass i admit it but let's say that 50 percent are not too into it they join the masons for you know my father was a member or it's a good business opportunity or it's what everybody in my environment does or whatever but then you got those people who are masons in spirit too and who usually end up as librarians or whatever and they would, uh, they, they are carrying the Masonic mantle, so to speak, then. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, actually, you know, in the Nova Scotia, there was, I noticed there are a lot of Masons all over the place. Uh, you know, you have, you have a, a grocery store and a lodge. Oh, you mean who lives there? You mean the inhabitants? Yeah, the, the inhabitants in, uh, in around the Halifax area, Nova, uh, the whole of Nova Scotia, there's a lot of Freemasons. That's interesting. Masonic lodges all over the place. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, in, um, some conspiracy minded people who think, oh yeah, see, they're, they're there, they're watching the treasure. But <laughs> I'd approach this from a more historic perspective. If there was, proto-masons involved uh, then obviously the the uh, and uh, you know it didn't it wasn't forgotten the the day after they buried it they probably checked up on it for a while so the first settlers there it's probably been masons there from the beginning and if there is a precedence of masons then this is what you get you get oh my father was a mason my grandfather was a mason my neighbor is a mason my colleague is a mason you know and th- yeah. th- that's a sociological explanation that I think is the most realistic. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, the the, the whole East Coast of America is uh, is a very yeah. uh, large, intense, if you say, if, at least compared to Sweden. You know, 
But then they should have uh, then they should have a lot of uh, archives that could be. Yeah, yeah. They... Do you have access? Do you know if anyone has access to this? I met uh, when I saw the filming uh, last year. I met uh, this guy Kel. Was a very nice guy, and uh, I think he's thirty-second degree uh, Mason. Yeah, I saw that episode. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We went into archives and uh, so on, but it was they were not very happy to open them up. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, they, but they did, of course. Yes, they did. Well, I say it's a, just a question of uh, ignorance because all Masons who feel the true calling of Masonry, uh, we have this expression in Norwegian and Swedish. We have this saying, and they, I don't know if you can translate it, but they should know when it's time to visit. This is the time to visit. They need to open, uh, they need to actually go in their own archives, Masons all over the place. Yeah. If they want their lost secrets to be restored by the way do you have any idea of how this got lost if it is indeed lost if there's not people still alive who knows about these things how on earth did they manage to to lose such a hugely important uh, i mean no i I think it was constructed uh, in order for uh, to be forgotten as a project ah Uh, because that's that creates protection. Yes, yes. Uh, if, if it's it's a mechanical system of uh, sorting out the wrong kind of people, it's a it's a mechanical system of uh, you know if if they inherited something and that they they felt they couldn't protect and they wanted to uh, to bury it so that future people can find it, and then they uh, created a mechanical system that that works. By itself, sorting out people, and then they uh, they use the greedy the, the money pit. Uh, they they use the greedy as a beacon. Hmm. So the greedy they're never going to stop digging. They, they have they have to keep digging in that hole to try to get past the border traps and spread rumors about the island, so that it could be connected to cryptography later on by worthy people. That's such a good point. Because they, even if they were pure of heart, etc., and responsible people themselves, there's no guarantee if all the Masons knew about this, it would be doomed to be decayed and corrupted, and eventually someone would. Yeah. Yes. But by creating a system that's so sophisticated, mm. they would assume that, okay, in the future, if it goes the right way, If this project goes the right way, the new world and all that, and and there's freedom and civilization and people will be worthy, like you say, and seek for the right reasons and they will have the means and the intelligence to to crack this. That makes sense. Yeah, there's uh, there's two tests. There are an intelligent test and there are resource tests. And uh, intelligence tests also want uh, a group of people to solve it. Mm. And, uh, you know, from my discovery, you see that it's, and if, you, if you, I didn't use computers, it would be almost impossible to do, or would be impossible to do myself. So uh, you need a large group to do it. And also on the island, you see, uh, okay, it's, everything is so large. Everything is massive. You need a lot of people in order to get in anything done on the island, you know, or big machines nowadays, of course. But yeah. How large is the island in metric counts? Approximately. Well, I don't know actually, but it's well, it's um, it's large. Or the area where we're talking about, because it seems so small from above, you know, on television. But obviously, that's 
not an authentic impression. You've been there. Yeah. How, how long time do you think you would use just walking around the entire island? A few hours, I think. Two, three hours okay. to walk around the entire island. And I heard that in former times, actually that's just basic knowledge, that uh, the water, the sea level was lower, so the island was must have been even bigger. Which means, actually, that stuff may have uh, some clues maybe there which are now underwater. Have you thought about that? Yes, on the south shore, the, the sea of eight and away on the south shore, uh, mostly. And uh, also on the north shore, of course, because of it, the sea level has risen. But I think the, you know, the, the ice holes, what you call, where the, the dive came out on the outside, like out in the water from the south shore. That was where the the beach was back mm. in the days, I think, around that that area. And the swamp was created in the center of, of the island, or almost. Wow, so back then that was the center. I, I, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but... No, no, but, uh, but that's your theory. Yeah, it's a theory around it was... Interesting. To be protected, there's, there's natural springs filling up the, the swamp, and uh, you have a flat surface on the, on the bottom. Yeah, that's mystical. I hope yeah. they will decode that eventually. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an artificial swamp, no doubt about it. Mm. Hmm. Okay. Hey, before we wrap up for the break, I have one question about um, Rosicrucian manifestos. Yeah. Uh, have you tried to find, to use Bacon's cipher system on them? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, Nobody the, have. You mean the bilateral cipher system oh yeah of course because the original is in german right yeah and latin some are in latin as well so uh german and latin but uh you know i, I haven't tried that i have i have looked for uh cryptostegonography structures in in uh, in the manifestos but uh, i can't find them hmm. uh, myself and then um, but, but you're talking about translations now try that there are a uh, Original prints that are both print, uh, printed in Latin and uh, then later in Germany or vice versa. So, oh, so, you, have, so you've been looking at the original, not in the English translations, but at the, in the originals. You've been looking. Yeah, been looking on all over them. I mean, mm. I've been checking through a lot of the connected, uh, you know, uh, prints and documents. And uh, there's, there's, you know, there's some very, very strange connections between these public publications going out in this area. Uh, and uh, my, a friend of mine from, from the internet called Paul Lappin, he has been uh, conducting a, an investigation of the, the Green Man uh, wood carving. I have that on my website. Mm. And he has done an extensive work. It's not official, so I can't talk about it. Uh, so, but he has done a lot, a lot of work, you know, on that green man. And what, what I can say, just one example, I can say that I found uh, the Porta book that Dr. Willem used in order to uh, to break the the Kempton symbol sequence. That book is from 1563, uh, printed in Naples, but a copy was printed in London in 1591 by a printer John uh, John Wolfe. And this guy, John Wolfe, he was notorious for making legal printing. Illegal. He was a pirate printer <laughs> of the day. Yeah, also. And he uh, was a very famous printer. But he, mm. uh, this this copy was commissioned by Henry Percy, who was a very rich, uh, esoteric uh, 
Earl, he was into alchemy and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, he, they used much better paper than they usually did uh, at those times. Uh, and yeah. They made a copy of this book. And on the front page, they, they used a green man wood carving. Hmm. The exact same piece of wood carving then appears in the year 1600 in Shakespeare's Much Ado, but uh, what's called wow. Much Ado. Wow. That's a clue. On the front page, with, with a little damage on the corner, but it's the exact same wood print. So this wow. this wood moves around different printers, you know, and it's all over Europe. They, they move from Castle. It's in the, the same uh, design is in, in the Rosicrucian manifestos, and some of them <laughs> printed in Poland. And it moves around. It moves from Ven uh, to Kubrow. It moves down to Castle, but printed in uh, in uh, Adam Hasselmeyer's answer to the Pharma. And it just moves around very uh, wow. radically, you know. But that, that's so weird. Why? Because the green man is not a pan-European uh, tradition, is it? I always imagined it was a Celtic tradition. Yeah, I don't know exactly. It's, it's something to do with English tradition, yes. But, uh, but, but that's a clue then. That's a clue. Because if they use something that would be common all over Europe, it would be harder to get that this is actually deliberate. Yes, but we you know Paul Leppen, I suspect that there was something with this, because this green man popped up in different publications, you know, Shakespeare, uh, Quartos, Cryptography, Rosicrucian, uh, Manifest. Mm. So I suspect that there was something, and Paul Leppen did an extensive research with this, together with some other people that he found, and uh, and, and how, how it moves all over Europe is... Uh, uh, the same woodcarving you can see on the, very easy in Photoshop when you overlay stuff when it's the same wood, mm-hmm. the same piece. So it just moves all over Europe. Yeah, <coughs> it's, so, it's so great that you cooperate with others, that you have Lapin on board and others. And I hope I know that Petra is sympathetic to your work, but it's still a little doubting Thomas. And uh, but I hope that when you get to publish more details, uh, well, first of all, you know, you you need to convince it needs to be factual, right? but so that you can get most of these people out there fully on board. So th- maybe this whole restoration project going on, this rediscovering project can be a joint group venture, just as the original project was a group venture. <laughs> yes, yes. Of different brilliant minds. Yeah. Yes, of course. So I'm so encouraged to work. The first, and... the first thing that's going to happen is get my, uh, my full work that I still cannot disclose, I'm sorry to say it, but my full will be uh, out. Yeah. And there's both physical discoveries and cryptographic discoveries that need to get out, you know, hmm. go out. Um, there must be some bills and there must be, you know, yeah, yeah. I cannot re- reveal it. As no, it's, it's the way of the world. I think this is a very good point to take a break. Yeah. And when we come back, we will go now in depth more into your own approach yes. and your own involvement, both in your research and your actual actions, because as we've already dropped by passing, Daniel has been hands-on at Oak Island and he's been a part of this television series. It's going on there. It's the History Channel. So you can tell us a little about your involvement with uh, them, the Lagina brothers and all that, when we come back after the break. Yes, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, excellent. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, 
YouTube channel or Facebook page. Thanks. Welcome back to part two of this incredibly exciting uh, esoteric mystery trail that we're trying to crack here, or at least understand a little. And we have with us Daniel Ronstan, and we've talked about Oak Island in part one, and we talked about bacon, and uh, people will probably have a little bit better understanding now of this esoteric project that's been going on that can substantiate your findings which I want us to delve more into now now you told us in part one that it all started with you being tipped off you did some research you educated yourself and then bang you discovered something yes it was uh, what was this it was actually enormous enormous luck or what you can call it, you know, it was a freak accident that happened, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, I made a, first I thought I was just making things up, you know, but then when I investigated the, the place where I found this in, I found another structure that was, uh, you know, we, we, I got the same result from another structure in the same uh, work, actually, that was completely different. Uh, or, or not completely different, but quite different in construction. What, what work are we talking about here? That's I'm sorry, I can't, I can't tell that. You know, now, now, now I'm there again. You know, <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Okay, about... okay. But let's backtrack because I thought that your first discovery had to do with the stone. No, that, that came later. Ah. I, I found that out later on. You know, when I was. Uh, okay, so let's just tiptoe around this then. Yeah. You discovered something connected to Oak Island. Yes. That has to do with codes. Uh, cipher, actually. But, uh, Ciphers, yeah. Let's just call it codes, though, for yeah. our simple things. Uh, so, yeah, well, what I did was I, I got the connection that connected uh, Oak Island quite distinctly cryptographically with, uh, with Bacon, actually. And I cannot say where I found this as of yet because of contractual situations and negotiations. But sure, sure. But um, that led me on to just, what do you say, I just, I just flowed straight into historic cryptography and just read everything I could uh, <laughs> and, and began, you know, working on this document. Because, of course, you know, we are intrigued, you know. I've, yeah. I've, you know, I've read Dan Bowen's book. I thought it was a bad book, but <laughs> mm. but I was I was interesting. Of course, you're interested when you find something like this. You know, you get very interested, and uh, you know, and I'm not a Dan Brown fan. I'm not saying that, but but what I found my approach to it was, you know, I have found something. I have to follow this through. I don't matter what it costs. I have to follow this through. Mm. If I could make it myself, I would make it myself. Otherwise, I would take in some help from somebody. You know. Mm. And I just spent four years just uh, going through this, and it took a very long time to do. Did you discover in those four years that there weren't that many experts around, actually? <laughs> yes, there were very little, you know. Yeah. And um, yes, but what, what happened later on was that I, when I was, I was starting Reno cryptography, and I got into polyalphabetic ciphers, and I started uh, shaking this Dr. Williams decipherment of the the Kempton sequence from Oak Island. And uh, hang on, what is the Kempton sequence in Oak Island? The Kempton sequence is a set of 40 symbols that was uh, sent from a an 80 Kempton to uh, 
Blair in 1949. He sent them. And he claimed he got them from an old school teacher. Oh, yeah, it's a translation of the stone, right? Yeah, the the 40 symbols. Sorry to interject here, but uh, I'm just thinking of the listeners who maybe don't know what we're talking about. I don't want us to lose them. I want them to get engaged. Yeah. So could we backtrack all the way to the stone itself? Because we didn't touch upon We just mentioned it in part one, but people have no idea what it is. So let's start with the very fact that we did talk about, that there are several digs, and one of the oldest, and probably the first one, is called the money pit. Yeah. And you said that when we dig 100 meters down there, they found something, right? What did they found? Uh, that was the, the iron plate in the bottom. But uh, the the first, the, down to, I think it was 80 or 90 feet, uh, they found just a uh, wooden platform and then mm. platforms. And then there the, uh, at 90 feet or 80, they found a stone slab, uh, like weighting 300 kilograms, uh, a little bit rough on the edges and one side was uh, flat. Mm. I think there was something describing that. And there were symbols on that. And they put it up, took it up from the, in 1803 or 1804, they took it up from the money pit. And it ended up in the house, in the fireplace, just beside in Smith's house. And it was there for a number of years. Many people saw uh, saw the symbols. But no one could, um, could decipher them. And then mm. suddenly in 1893, I think it was, there was a prospectus from the Oak Island Treasure Company, uh, which claimed there was no no picture of the symbols, but they claim a uh, some professor, uh, which I think was Leshti from uh, the Dalhousie University, mm. made a substitution decipherment of those of symbols into English that said ten feet below two million pounds lay buried. And that is the earliest possible, the earliest account of uh, a, a, a decipherment of those symbols. And, and that message, that message would be the exact message needed to create a Klondike-ish fever of a treasure hunt, right? Yes, yes. But but actually, the thing was that they say just beneath that in in the prospectus, they say that uh, we by, by no means. Uh, claim that this decipherment is correct mm. but in any way the, the the existence of the stone can never be doubted but the stone itself uh, the, yeah but we didn't know what it is today no it went missing didn't it it went missing but the thing is the Kempton symbol say 40 feet below two million pounds are buried oh. and uh, you know a machine can make that substitution decipherment for you and you, poof, you get 40 feet out of it you know Okay. And uh, the crypto software that solves substitution ciphers. So that's not a very elaborate code, is it? <laughs> no, it's it, it's more or less it's impossible someone created this those set of symbols not uh, thinking about the forty feet below two million pounds message. Mm. But uh, everyone, you know, it's it's completely banal message, and everyone thought it was it must be fake. Yeah. Does this come from 1949? Yeah, it's so Disney. Yeah, it's so Disney, yeah. Uh, that was my yes. first impression to, oh my God. What's the, the, yeah, it, was, yeah. it seems fake, but when I read Dr. Wilhelms, because uh, he thought there was a polyalphabetic cipher, he didn't believe in the substitution cipher, but he thought it was a porta polyalphabetic cipher. Let's just uh, educate listeners here. That means there is several messages in the same. Yeah, it, mean, it means that there is a polyalphabetic 
message also in Spanish. That's a completely different uh, way of uh, encrypting information mm. uh, that shifts an alphabet for a step. So, and uh, Dr. Willem was an educated cryptographer during World War II. <clears throat> and uh, I've talked to his son and it took him like six months to do the, the break of that uh, encryption. And uh, this is so hard for people to understand, but if you know how polyalphabetic ciphers are constructed, you will understand that it is, if if you have repeated symbols, the same symbol that repeats several times, which the chemical symbol sequence is full of, then it's completely impossible just to create a message and then create rules. It's not impossible, but it's extremely, extremely hard, depending on how many times it repeats the same symbol. And uh, and what I'm looking for is some trained cryptographer to take a look at this. Some someone with a name that has credibility. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm an amateur cryptographer. If some well, expert, I, isn't, I, I think everyone is. Are there any really professional cryptographers in this area today? Uh, not exactly in this area, but you know, you you can express this in mathematics. So uh, yeah. a, guy, a guy in uh, studying cryptology in in a data log in university, he's working with computers, but he can make an, a statistical analysis of this, mm. no problem. Mm. You can you can transform it to math, you know, and uh, but it it has not been done because uh, nobody's seen interested in doing it. No. So what I what I'm uh, when I get more time, I will do a tutorial. But you can print, and you can, like with small sticks, you can move around. You can try to to break the cipher yourself. But I don't have time to do that now. But I will do it later on. Cool. So anyone can see that it's in, more or less impossible for it to be any other message. Now, even if you if you invent your own rules, you you can't you can't invent the rules so that they match all the way when you, when you go through the decipherment. But, but you know, um, many people have this almost superstitious uh, belief that computers can do and crack anything. I asked Peter just to cover that uh, question, and I had to ask you to, is it not possible with a good enough uh, computer power and program to to run these things through computers to, to crack it? Or is this so sophisticated that it's actually impossible even for computers to decode. Do you mean uh, the Kempton symbols now or, or anything? Well, I actually mean everything involved in this. I, I asked, obviously, I asked Peter out of his discoveries in Shakespeare and stuff. Now I'm asking you out of what you have found. Could you use computers for anything of this to, if not to crack it, at least to verify it? Yes, well, you you, you could. Um, you, you, of course, you can do statistical uh, calculations, but that doesn't prove anything. It just gives you hints. Mm. But uh, but some structures you might be able to use computers. So okay, it's a, it's advanced, of course. But but you know there is another um, Norwegian guy called Tingestad, I think Richard Tingestad, and he used mm-hmm. uh, Regex, which is a, a string commanding uh, program language, which you can actually extract uh, acrostics from a, a large body of text wow. exactly how you want it. You, you search for a word uh, constructed in a, in a different, in some way and you get hits on acrostic, telestic, whatever you want. Is he aware of Peter's work? Yes, yes. I think he got interested in, in it because of Peter's documentary. Do you know if he's, uh, he's uh, touched that yet? What, what do you mean? If he... 
if he should try to use some of Pater's discoveries this way to verify? Yes, uh, he has. He had, he had a website up for. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's still up, but uh, he had a website up with we analyzed first folio for acrostics and for star star uh, formations i think the name of star formations i don't think peter is uh, peter is uh, aware of this because he he proposed the idea that you could do such a thing but this is huge he should uh, <laughs> this should be more known because this is another feather in peter's hat yeah yes because it means that there's another even one more verification Yes, well, he found actually a lot of acrostic words and uh, and uh, names of uh, uh, constellations in uh, in first folio. And these are the same constellations that Peter found that led to Oak Island, right? Yes, some of them. He also found others. Uh, oh. Well, if if I'm now remember it correctly, but I think you should ask him. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, but. Uh, but I think that the usage of regex uh, as a string command could be very fast to get get things out of uh, out of large bodies of text. I don't know the language myself yet, but it, it could be used for steganography. Huh. Cool. Huh. Okay, so um, so we got this stone. It went missing, and we'll actually get back to that too because that is uh, also a part of this story. And um, you found this uh, thing that you can't talk about yet, but uh, which is coming. And then you got interested in this scripture on the stone. And you discovered this, uh, should we say, um, second message or, or whatever. Yes, it do, sir. No, actually, there was this other guy who did this. But you have an approach on this, too. Yeah, he, we should get to that. <clears throat> he, he did small mistakes exactly. in his approach, yes. Yeah. yeah. And you discovered this? Yes, now what I discovered was that if you use the English alphabet, 16th century alphabet, instead of the Spanish 16th century alphabet, then you don't have to swap any symbols. Mm. He, Dr. Willem thought they were remembered wrongly, right. but uh, they are not. They are correct as they are, but it's if you use the English alphabet. So, so what gets changed is from 10 feet to 40 feet. Is that the only significant change? Yes, it is. And uh, it's, you know, if, if you look at this this way, I'm completely convinced that the Kempton symbol sequence from a letter in 1949 is a dual cipher. You have two messages, one simple in substitution, English, 40 feet, and one uh, more complex in Spanish that actually say how you stop the water transfer. Let's state them now both. Remember, this is radio, so they don't have the visuals. Repetitions can be good. So let's just state the messages then again, so people have it clear uh, in front of them. Let's begin with the English one. Yes. Uh, the English substitution decipherment is 40 feet below, 2 million pounds are buried. Mm. <laughs> and uh, if this is a message that was actually on a stone in the pit, it uh, could be explained by uh, four feet below, two million pounds are buried. It sounds very, you know, another strange and very simple. And uh, I think it's designed to be that way. If this set of 40 symbols was actually the ones found on a stone in the pit and they are a dual cipher, it will actually explain a lot uh, why the stone was located there because... The 40 feet below 2 million pounds of buried message defines the money pit as a treasure keep and not as a mine or a mm. storage facility or something, like a weapon storage facility. Or a temple. Yeah, a temple, whatever. It, it looks actually like a mine if you look at it when you have this mm. going downwards. But it defines it as a treasure keep 
for the simple-minded that it's a simple mm. substitution decipherment. And uh, when you crack it, you th- you think mm. you have cracked the message in the symbols, and you don't look for another message. But if you're educated, you will under- you will see that the symbols and there are other clues as well. But you you will understand that there are possibilities for polyalphabetic cipher, and then you have to break that cipher, which was what Willem did, and that is hard. It's very hard, especially you know if. In the 16th century, it was also very hard, you know. And mm. you know, Willem didn't use computers either. If you use computers, it'll be easier. But uh, but um, and then you get the true message out uh, at 80. Guide maze corn into long a sea inlet drain. The, you have to repeat that. Yes, uh, the Spanish message say if you translate it to English, at 80, guide corn. In long narrow sea inlet drain, huh. and then you have F as a signing, meaning possibly Francis Bacon or Freemasons <laughs> or, or Freemasons or whatever. Yeah. But uh, that actually explains how to stop the water traps mm. and uh, and how to get further down into the. And I, I think we should explain how that explains how to stop the water the booby traps. Yes, uh, the cave-in pit and the south shore pit, and maybe the rest of the pit as well, they were, they were bricked holes, like uh, a meter at one and a half wide, and they have brick walls or clay walls, and, uh, and the top was like um, a dome, and on, on top of the dome there was like a vegetation, on ground level, so that so they were hidden on the Oak Island surface. And uh, what you do is you find them, and you bring in a ship with corn, and you pull corn into them, and the corn will swallow up, and they will plug the channels. That's so genius. Yeah, it's an old-fashioned, old-fashioned, but yeah. very effective. Yeah. And of course, if you, if you don't uh, manage anything, you get tired, you go away. The maggots will eat up the corn, and the, it would all work again. So it's a it's an ingenious uh, low-fi way of ensuring uh, things, you know. Yeah, th- that's the low-tech of the time, so it fits. Yes, low-tech of the time. Uh, and but it's so it's such an Indiana Jones yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> type of uh, elaboration. Yeah. But then, did you see that episode of uh, the Curse of Oak Island, where they had these Scottish guys who connected it to the old Scotland, to Sinclair, to the Templars, to the corn that's found in um, Roslin. And corn, obviously, at that point was unknown in Europe, came from yeah. America. Yeah, I, I saw that episode, yes. So, uh, what's your thought about that? Do you think that's a further substantiation of what we're talking about? Could be, but actually the Spanish translation is, is uh, medio, uh, which is a maize, so... Uh, I don't know if it's exactly is corn. It could be other f- types of seed as well, you know. Oh, okay. But maize doesn't that mean a labyrinth? No, not not that kind of maize. It's uh, oh, okay. medio if you translated this in the, the English word maize, but it means corn, uh, corn-like things, you know, corn. Okay, okay. Uh, like seed, seed things. Mm, mm. But uh, you know, yes, I see that. I've seen that. Uh, the Rostin Chapel, I've seen those. There are a lot of green men in there, and there are yeah. these corns and stuff. Mm. And of course, uh, I, 
I believe, you know, uh, the Vikings were there. Uh, in, uh, and I, I think it was known. America was known for a long time. Yeah, I think a Norwegian academician 50 years ago proved it. Uh, I think his name was Helge Ingstad or something. And the Kensington runestone and all that. And there's also speculations, not speculation, indications are the word, is the word, that um, uh, the maps that the Newfoundland Vikings had uh, went to the Jarl of Orkney. And he was in connection with uh, Sinclair. Yeah. And he had a relative. I, I should really educate myself and, and get these details right because this is the second time I'm mentioning it on air yeah. and it's pathetic that I don't have the details right. But it goes, you know, it's just the details I can't remember. But what's positive is that one of Columbus's relatives was married to one of the close relatives of the Jarl. And uh, or was it uh, Sinclair? That's what I can't get straight. And so there is a physical possibility of a map going from the Vikings to Columbus, who obviously was a Knight Templar himself. Yeah. And uh, Bacon and these guys, if they are really burying, you know, like Peter says, King James was involved. They got it from Scotland. Yeah and put it over there, then we have the Templar connection anyway. Yeah, yes, you know, it's uh, it could very well be uh, something inherited that uh, you have to remember in, in, in six, around the year 1600 in England, it, it was the worst society you can ever think about. You forget the Dark Ages, you know, Elizabethan England for the common man was horrible. Mm. It was like, a, it was a police state completely, you know, with informers um, everyone could be an informer and just get a cut from uh, informing illegal stuff you know mm. and everything was controlled from uh, selling wool everything you know and she she had like uh, on um, what was it, torture she had she tortured people like uh, live in front of children every day there was torture going going on and the Tower of London and all that, yeah. Yes, it was a very, very horrible society, you know, and uh, for the common man. And they thought they couldn't uh, protect what they were protecting because they were afraid of getting imprisoned. Mm. The, that's my theory, and that's why this whole thing started about the Oak Island Project. Yeah, because there was this power battle between the James faction and the Elizabeth faction, right? Yeah, but James came came after in 1604 after Elizabeth there. But uh, there was a Catholic problem. She was uh, hunting down Catholics and uh, yeah. people that thought differently a lot, you know. Mm. And even if people were not like religious Catholics, they were they had uh, customs and ceremonies that were Catholics. Right. Do you, do you know when the gunpowder plot was? Uh, not exactly. When was that? Because that was also a part of this battle between Catholics and uh, Anglicans. Yes, and that is quite it's quite uh, it's very interesting because it's quite central to the people surrounding this, you know. Yeah. What do they say? Remember, remember the the fifth of November. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gunpowder of treason and plot or something like that. We have forgot though. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, the, this is the political circumstances. So obviously this is not a place to to have such powerful uh, artifacts and treasures as what may be in the Templar heritage. So yeah, let's go to the New World. 
let's escape like so many people did from Europe mm. uh, onwards. And yeah, uh, we buy that scenario. Yes, and then and then build a, a mechanical system that you don't need anyone remembering things to uh, mm. to protect it. But they haven't tried out your method uh, by putting corn and stuff in there yet, have they? No, the, you know, I don't think it's any use now because it's blown up with dynamite and everything is uh, dug, so uh-huh. there won't, won't be any use. But what they should do is investigate those three other pits for original work. Right. Uh, in the walls. That, that's what they should do because uh, uh, I don't know... Uh, I, I, I know that they promised in the last series to um, to put down a uh, uh, like a tunnel straight down into 10x to put in divers. Yeah, they, they did start to put in divers, but it went bad. Yeah, in, in the in season two, yeah, but yeah. but uh, before season three, now they promised in season two that they would drive down a pipe straight down for divers to get down to 10x. Right. So uh, let's get to that part. You got involved because uh, just like Petter was, he was invited over in, actually he went over and then, um, you know, they cooperated. He got uh, onto the screen. Of course, there was politics later and intrigues and the producers didn't quite like the fact that he supported that the bill about an archaeologist on site. So he's kind of out. But at least he got to be displayed on an episode. And then you was invited over. Was that in season two you, you, that you showed up? Or was it in season one? I forgot. No, it was in season two. Uh, so you came the season after. Yeah. So how did you get... To, did you just contact them and say... Uh, and by the way, when we say them now, let's just clarify this too. That uh. today, like I said, there is... History Channel is there, and they got these two charming cowboys, these brothers called the Laginas, Rick and Marty Lagina, yeah. and their team. And Craig Tester. And they are basically, yeah, they are the diggers. Yeah. Yeah. So you contacted them, or, or how did that work? Yes, I, I was sending them some material for uh, a while before that, and uh, mm. and I got a connection with Rick Lagina first, and uh, he was a very nice gentleman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I think they, they're making a good job. I think there are already laws in place that could uh, control what they do because they find, if they find anything at all that is uh, mm. below a certain age, they have to stop everything and take an archaeologist. Okay. That's the law how it is right now, even after even with the treasure trove. Okay. And uh, and they can they cannot keep anything unless it is um, like pure gold or some pure if that's if it's worked on by man, mm. then it's an historic artifact and it belongs to... Yeah, so cultural artifacts. Cultural it's artifact. not that they will sell it on the black market and no, uh, enrich themselves. No, they can't. no. But, but, but Rick uh, Lagina, he's smart enough to realize that I noticed that the swamp is essential here. And he also is the guy who recognized your, uh, should we say, contribution. Uh, yeah, he's interested in my work. Yeah, he is... Mm. Uh, I got that notion, and he's a very nice guy. And uh, but of course, there are there are like four or five guys in in, uh, in partnership there, and, and uh, yeah. it's very complicated, you know. And the process they're doing there with the the show and everything is quite a complicated process. But I had a I had a nice stay there, and uh, and uh, we found Victory Stone again and uh, dug it up. 
to confirm Peter's theory. Is that the one with the the victory stone? Is that the one with the triangle on three dots? Uh, no, that's that's kingdom. If it is a triangle, that, that's some dots on the kingdom. Uh, I, I haven't seen those myself, but but I can say victory stone is definitely worked on by man, and there are a cement patch on one of the edges. Wow. But it's it's the same as the other seven. Uh, it's the same as those flats, flat on one side and round on the other. Yeah, right? flat on one side, mm. and they have. You see, it, it's very smooth and nice, and you see tool work on the side of it, and the flat oh. side is very rough. Yeah. So it it's, it looks uh, different than Kingdom. Kingdom looks almost natural, but Victory doesn't look natural at all. Let's just update people. We, we're talking about for those who didn't listen to, which you should have done, because we have to get this in the right sequence. <laughs> but with our program with Peter, it's about uh, one of the owners of the island, Fred Nolan. He discovered uh, what he thought was a stone cross. Enter Peter. Peter, he realized that this is not just a stone cross, it's actually the draft of a tree of life, which is more elaborate. And today, they found seven of the ten stones. It's not that they've looked for the three others and haven't found them, it's that one of them is beneath the swamp, uh, and the two others, as I understood it, is on Nolan's Mm. Possession, uh, and he doesn't want people to to look for them or something. So he because there's a conflict between the owners, blah blah blah, politics. Yeah. So, but of these seven stones, we're now talking about because every point in the tree of life called a sephirot. It's called sephira. Yeah, sephira. Every sphere, every point, every stone, sephira, uh, and we're talking about the one called kingdom. Mm. And that's the one at the bottom, isn't it? Yes, that, that was the one uh, Peter went, went for first when he, in 2003, yeah. I think. Yeah. And that's where you would assume that the treasure was buried. Yeah, you, yeah. If you, uh, if you, if you see that, that as Peter did, that it is a Renaissance tree of life, Kabbalah tree of life construction, could, could be, because it's, uh, mm. it's um, placing the center points for the Sephiras. Then, of course, you go to kingdom first. Yes, that's what I would, would have done as well. Mm. But the thing is, there, there, are, there is another position uh, in those kind of Renaissance tree of life structures called Darth. Yeah, the eleventh mystical one. Yeah, the hidden Sephira. Uh, I don't know if the yeah. pronunciation is correct for Darth, but uh, Darth, yes. That position uh, is actually located straight under Tom Nolan's new build house. He he built a house wow. now, so over it. Wow, maybe he's uh, maybe he's sitting there digging in in his own house without nobody seeing. <laughs> maybe that house. Seller. <laughs> yeah, maybe that house is just pro forma. He's a clever <laughs> old man, I think. I he's a land surveyor and he knows about Petter's theories. Yes, the thing, so yeah, the thing is, Fred Nolan, uh, the the old man, he's not living on the island anymore, I think. But Tom Nolan, the son, is uh, he's the actual owner of the the property now. But is he still keeping the antagonism going, or is he more open-minded? Or do you know? Have you met him? Talked with no, him? No, I haven't met him, but he seems to be friend with the the Lagines and everything. There's no, oh. no conflict between them at all. Cool. Uh, but I think he's, he doesn't go against his father uh, 
No, of course. But but even if uh, in the future, whatever. I mean, if he he really is settling there with a new house, you know, he he lays there in his uh, jacuzzi, and then you and Petra and Legina comes with <laughs> spades in your hand and say uh, shovels in your hand and say, hey, we're going to dig here. <laughs> the treasure is <laughs> under. Not necessarily he would uh, want that house to be if it's his home now. <laughs> That's a bummer. It's in the middle of the. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God! <laughs> but uh, you know that that position needs to be investigated, and, yeah. and it will be sooner or later. You know, but it's uh, I think so. So they have to dig up his cellar. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure he's. You know, you, he needs to be convinced, and he's seen his father chasing this uh, windmill his own life, right? Like everybody else. I don't know his position, but uh, yeah. It's not a good thing that he's building a house on that. And and just building a house there could ruin the whole site. Yes, but he, he didn't know about that the Darth position, I think. No, of course of course not. That's what I mean. He's, okay, let's put the house down and bam. Yeah. There goes Darth. Yes, you know, it's uh, his property. But uh, my, my personal uh, thought about the whole Ocalan thing is that actually... the. The owners that own it now, the Lagina brothers, are the absolutely most responsible people that have ever been on that island digging. You know, the, the province have have, uh, have completely raped this historical project by how they have yeah. handled that, that island from it for two years. Yeah, if you look at the history, yes, it's a mess. It's a mess, yeah. They're raped completely, you know. And, uh, and now, you know, you have... You know, the problem is... The province themselves can't do what the, the Lagina's are doing on the island now because they have assets themselves to go in with their own assets and do this for, for interest uh, in the mm. historical thing. The province can't come up with that kind of money because they're not enough proof that there is actually something there right now. You understand? Mm. Mm. If there were more proof, maybe the province would be more interested in uh, having, you know, universities for archaeologists coming down and so on. But right now there, there, are, there are no people except the Legina's that have assets enough to uh, go mm. into this in a responsible way. Yeah, and History Channel obviously. Yeah, okay, they, they're using history, Prometheus to pay for it all of course, you know, that's that's smart and I think it's uh, it's okay, it's appropriate, but um, but you know, if you, if you pull back uh, like uh, 200 years and now you, you pull back to the, the, the 40s or 50s when the, the province got more responsible and new laws came in. Mm. They didn't change anything. Then Dunfield came in in the 70s and completely raped the whole place with the bulldozers. Yeah. Was that the oil company diggers? Mm, uh, I, no, I don't I don't know that. But Dun, Dunfield was... I don't know if he was an oil guy, but... Yeah, okay. But, but, I, but I've, what I'm thinking is that they shouldn't have allowed that at all. Uh, from the, you know, when when the the new laws came in place in the 40s and 50s, they should shut it down and uh, and uh, just allowed archaeological projects, proper archaeological projects, you know. But don't you think that things were screwed up already back when the booby traps was uh, ignited? The first people who went there, or actually, your theory is that it's a decoy. Yes, I think you need to explain that if, because if you're right, mm. we shouldn't be so worried because many people, especially those who follow Petter's work, mm. are worried because they 
one of those diggings, we say digging, but they're not using showers, they're drilling. One of the drillings uh, discovered a old pergament, an old page, which could be yeah. of Shakespeare's works, which is one of the hypothetical uh, items in the treasure, right? So, so, so that's a bomb. And that was not in Tenex, that was in the money pit, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, as I said in my website, um, I think it's very probable, considering what I found, that uh, the box in the, around, they called the, the chapel chamber, I think it's called, the cement chamber in the hundred and 53 foot level yeah that that box was found by the ogre drillings that's where they found the this uh, piece of parchment of paper where this writing on and that was the one of the functions of the money pit was that box and it was uh, surrounded by blue clay that is water waterproof mm. like a few few meters up and below it there were blue clay and that's the only place they found blue clay in oh. the in the whole money pit you know yeah So, so uh, the reason, but but the money pit continues beneath it, and probably just goes out in caverns and so on. But that is all a decoy. The important thing is the box in 153 foot level, the chapel chamber, and those documents in there. Yeah, but but do we uh, know it was a box? Yeah, they know it was a wooden box with cement around, a box-like thing, you know. Yeah, a square. Uh, Yeah, it could be um, okay. They don't know if it's a square. It could be a circle or whatever. But uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. I, I but but it's some some kind of container containing documents. Uh, and uh, and and the parchment was dipped in mercury, right, in quicksilver, which again points to bacon. Yeah, I don't know. They found uh, mercury in the money pit. I don't know if they found it on the parchment precisely, but oh, of I, course. I think they did because it wouldn't survive uh, if not. No, no, of course it couldn't survive. So uh, yes, I think it was dipped. Uh, okay, I'm I'm not an expert, I, but uh, people go and research this. We we don't have that uh, advantage. We're live on tape, as they say. But uh, let's say then that uh, it was dipped in mercury, or at least they found a lot of mercury. But the point with mercury, for those who don't know it, is that it is an ancient way to preserve stuff. And uh, the whole uh, one of the cru crucible points with Petter's theory is that. Um, Uh, they did Bacon did uh, preserve uh, their writings and uh, probably also the Shakespearean writings originals in Mercury. He is, he even wrote a book about how to do it. Yes, uh, yeah, it's an ingenious way. It, it takes out all the water, all the air, and kills all bacteria. So uh, when you take it up, it looks exactly the same as when you put it down. Mm. It, I don't, it doesn't matter how long time uh, passed, you know. So it's uh, it's very ingenious, but um, money pit has several functions, and uh, one of the functions is to be uh, a beacon um, to you know to never forget the the project. People need to keep digging, uh, and the other one was to um, to uh, to deliver information to those who could get past the water traps. Mm. And that information was stored in that uh, box. That's an in a theory of mine, an yeah. incentive theory. And the code you cracked, is that just about how to stop the 
the the second code is that just a message is that just to stop the water traps or does that in the you know the stone? on the stone mm. yeah yes that's how to stop the water traps that's all it has to do with it it, it makes you uh, go look for some some other some drains some uh, some place to put uh, maze corn inside you know okay but it doesn't hint that this is a decoy uh no not not at that no it just makes you go past the traps, you know. Mm. But that means that it's meant to be open, because why would they... One thing is to have traps there for the greedy simpletons who just want to bomb their ways to the big pirate treasure. But what about, mm. okay, we get this, now we stop it. Mm. Why would they do that if not that was also connected to the site somehow? Uh, no, it's you know, as I say, it has several functions, and the and the the functions are you know, stepwise. So the first the first people who come to the island are simple settlers or fishermen. Mm. They will find the pit, and they will start digging. What is this? And then they find the stone, and uh, maybe if they are a little bit intelligent, they get the English message, and they say, "Wow, it's a treasure keep. Mm. Wow, let's keep digging." And then the water comes. Mm. That ah we get to get past the water because here's a treasure here you now, so they start digging, 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 mm. and uh, and they 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 can't get back get past the water traps. And then someone came along and see that with education and see that maybe this is a polyalphabetic cipher as well, mm. and they start working on it. And then the the educated people say, hey, now we have the instruction. We should find other drains and put corn in them, and then we get past the water traps. Mm-hmm. And then he gets past the water traps, and then they, they found the cement chamber uh, with information inside. Ah, so you think, okay, so it's like the next clue then to where to go to. Yes, and if they are unworthy and come down there, they realize, what is this box with documents? Uh, oh my God, yeah. Put, put mm. it in there, let's, let's dig further, because that's yeah. shit down. You know? <laughs> yeah, we're looking for the gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly, so it, it would still be a beacon, even if you get the box up, because there's stuff further down as well. Mm. Uh, so, so it, um, and then the, the swamp, at Mercy Point, Pedas Theory, I don't know what it is right now, but he was the guy who found the Mercy Point. I just built on that theory, as I say on my website, that at Mercy Point, way down under the swamp, below tree root level, there are another box, mm. almost the same as there are in the money pit, with uh, information encrypted. Right. In documents, you know. Mm. So this is the backup uh, structure. The money pit is the main structure, but it, ah. it, it faced the, the problem of being destroyed uh, because of the beacon function. And then you have the second structure, it's the, the swamp and the, the tree of life formation. That's, that's actually very nice if <laughs> that exists. But, but maybe we should uh, consider that all the points of the tree of life some have some information. I mean, uh, okay, we know that some of them just have some simple symbols or something. But um, and dots, I believe, faint dots, possibly. And victory doesn't have that. Victory is just there's no symbols whatsoever. But you see, it's uh, worked on by man quite heavily, you know. Uh, but but it's just a flat surface. I didn't see any kind of. Uh, I, I really looked really carefully, and I didn't find anything, you know. Yeah, but what about? Um, I mean, what about if you're into Kabbalah? You'd put special 
emphasize on okay if it was me then i would i would go to kingdom i would go to beauty that's very central i would go to darth just because of its obscure position in this and i would go to crown i don't know do you have any ideas uh, why would i choose uh, well I, we do know that Mercy, at least, has some relevance because of Shakespeare. It's not like Peter took it out of his ass. He did find it. And uh, so I guess both Victory and Mercy is not random. But wouldn't you yourself think that we should look at... uh, You you said yourself, Darth could be... Maybe you think Darth is the place? Uh, Well, it's... uh, extremely much more complicated than that my theory but okay. but I, I cannot as i said i cannot go deeper into it you know <laughs> and i'm so sorry i can't do it right now i just want to tell you i just want to tell everybody but i can't <laughs> sorry but also also was a yes or no question at least um no is it <laughs> no no but uh, let me ask the question yeah. It, could it be according to your theory that we have to go off this island to find that could be, yes. Mm. Could be. I've, I've heard rumors about Apple Island, one of the neighboring islands. you know anything about that? Heard no. About that? No. No. Okay. no. I know Frog Island, there are some construction work. Uh, or some, or some tools thrown into a pond in the Frog Island just beside. Mm. Uh, like the workers have been living there or something. But but you've been telling people for a long time that uh, it's coming, it's coming. Um, will you try to give them any update now or a disclaimer, you know? Uh, people who are following, because we recommend everybody to go to your very nice-looking and very informative, um, easy-to-the-eye website and check it out. You can find a lot of details about Daniel's work there and stuff. What would you want to see your fans, to your supporters? Within a year, there will be a massive revelation regarding Oak Island. And uh, my website is not updated for a long time, and I'm not active on my uh, Facebook page as well. But but I'm working a lot. I'm working my yeah my ass off actually <laughs> in, in the behind the scenes here because uh, I want to do this the right way. And uh, there's going to be a massive revelation here. Yeah. A massive revelation. Massive so a revelation. game changer. A complete game changer. Yeah. Wow. And that sounds like a guy who just talks shit because I've said a lot of things a lot of time, but nothing comes out. But I'm sorry for it, but it will come. I promise it will come. But you have delivered stuff so far, so you're not, uh, you know, you have some credentials here. So um, Yes, absolutely. We're listening. Yeah. But have you told, uh, like, say, the Laginas and stuff about this? Can't go into details, but I'm, I'm in negotiations right now with several different parties, and mm. uh, nothing is decided yet. And uh, we will see how how it. But uh, but at least the Laginos know that your work in this is not limited to what you already contributed uh, about the, the boogie trap and the stone and all that. No, they know they know more, okay. know a bit more. So uh, they do. But right now working with, uh, with, with documentary film companies and uh, investors and uh, other other things. Oh, no. you're in the same hell as Patterson. He <laughs> he was delayed because of all that uh, stuff, the business stuff. But uh, it's it's yeah. uh, lo- loosening up now. And I must say that so far your theories 
uh, and it seems I think you mentioned off air that your revelation also is backing up Petter's theory, right? You're substantiating his theory. Yes, I you know I I uh, we don't agree on everything, you know, but uh, uh, that's healthy for this kind of project, yeah. you know, when you have. Uh, researchers that uh, doesn't agree on everything i think it's very healthy to uh, to solve something in the end yeah but remember Petter, he's so critical uh, he doesn't dare go all in uh, in his belief that he's even skeptical to his own work <laughs> his own findings <laughs> yes you know but yeah he is uh, but he's made some substantial discoveries you know which he should be very credited for yeah and uh uh, in the cryptographic uh, scene, as well as uh, on the island with the Tree of Life structure. Mm. So see, everything builds on other people's work, of course. You have the Nolans, the no- Fred Nolan finds a cross, mm. and then you have a build-on with the Pedro, uh, and uh, as well, it's, it builds like this, you know. Yeah, standing the, the, on shoulders. The first, yeah, standing on shoulders. The first guy who, uh, who ever thought Oak Island has something to do with with Shakespeare and Bacon was this guy Owen, who everyone thought was completely crazy back in the early 20th century. That long ago? What was his uh, um, reason to to draw such a conclusion? Yeah, he took uh, a lot of Renaissance work with Shakespeare and he put him on a big paper wheel, which he could roll, and he had a a secretary writing down stuff he, he picked out from the text and uh, I read something and what he used was um, some uh, uh, hint repetition mm. uh, and he was not way off there it, it, it sounds crazy you know but he was not way off he was looking for specific words mm. and read uh, contexts around those words and found similarity even if they were spread out the publication you know mm. and uh, he was a bit eccentric and a bit mad, and he, everything I've read, everything he does was not very, not, not very analyzed in depth. No, but isn't isn't this the guy who actually, through this method, find the tomb, the empty tomb though, but still the tomb of Bacon? He spent uh, his fortune trying to find uh, the Shakespeare manuscripts under the river Y. Yeah. Uh, what? How do you pronounce it? Y. Yeah, Y. Lovely place. Yeah, and. Um, in Wales, and he, uh, yeah, he was actually quite, uh, quite interesting fellow, but he got forgotten, you know. But he was the first guy who, who said afterwards, "Bacon moved them. It's an Oak Island." This, he was the first guy. So he, already back then, he realized it was in Oak Island and not in this empty tomb uh, at the yes. river. Ah. When, when he didn't find it, they were on Oak Island. And then you had Penn Leary in the fifties who said it, and then Peter Amundsen, and then just. On. Who's Penn Leary? Is this a Bacon Society guy? or? Penn Leary was an engineer. I think he visited the island in the 50s and he, uh, he wrote a book, The Cryptographic Shakespeare, where he, uh, he finds some acrostics and uh, I think some, some, some kind of Caesar cipher as well in, uh, in Shakespeare's work. And he claimed that the, the manuscripts was buried on a garden. Hmm. Uh, the second guy after after the Owen guy, I think there might be someone in between, but I, I'm not aware of them. Right. But you are actually involved in a project to alert. We have a, <clears throat> a few Canadian listeners, I have to tell you. And yeah, aren't you into 
a project now to try to locate this missing stone so we can get something tangible to work on here? Yes, uh, I, I'm unfortunately not very active uh, anymore on the, on the web on that, but I've, there are some of some people in Nova Scotia that are researching this really, really good, mm. and I I have to give a thanks to them because I'm very, of course very interested in getting this stone out, but they have actually tracked down all these these guys from the 19th century where they lived, the relatives, everything. They made a huge map of how how they moved these early guys who was involved in the galley, you know. Yeah. And they're writing a book. Uh, Doug, is, Doug is his name. His, his, uh, he and his friends are writing a book on uh, on this research. Mm. And this should have been done like years ago, you know. They, yeah. <laughs> So you know, nice. it's uh, but now I think it's the show. It's everything starts to. Yeah, it's in interest. It's a renaissance around it. Yes, sure. it's a renaissance around this mm. uh, enormously world heritage kind of project. Yeah, because people are realizing this is more than just uh, an old pirate myth. So yeah. Yes, mm. it's extremely elaborately elaborate construction. You know. Mm. Um. So. Uh, no, it's but don't they have a group that you can join if you live in the area or something like that? Yes, uh, I put up two groups. One uh, located in the Oak Island in Scrapstone. That's the official one. And then we have uh, the same but the research group with the more intense researchers. And uh, there are quite active people talking there and uh, trying to... Can, can we find links to that from your website? or? I think so, yeah, to the Facebook. It's a Facebook uh Groups. I think there are links on my website in the first. Uh, so people, if you're interested, you don't have to know anything. But if you live in the area, at least check it out. Join because they ask. I remember they ask people, "Hey, do you know this? Have you seen this? That?" That's how things get around. So just check it out. It's called Locating the the Oak Island Stone. Is that what name of one of the groups? Uh, locating the Oak Island inscribed stone. Okay. Yeah. We'll put out links on your page to these groups so people can find them when they go to your guest page at our website. Okay. And where we put up your biography and your <coughs> bibliography. Not that that's so much yet, I guess, no. coming. <laughs> and the link to your website and the link to these groups. So then they can find it there. So they don't have to rely on our Scandinavian uh, pronunciation of these things. Yeah. Yes, and if you know anything about, have heard anything about these early guys, uh, Craig and Marshall, and uh, and uh, yeah, there the are early. You can see it on every Oak Island website and book, I think. But uh, if you know anything, live in the area. No, I've seen any stone somewhere with symbols on. So just contact uh, on the, on the group, the Facebook group, and there are people very interested who come and look look at this uh, thing. Mm. You found. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, but I heard a, a rumor, or actually I read something. I think it was in one of these Facebook groups. So some people claim it has been located, but that the owner doesn't dare coming out with it because they believe it will be taken into possession by the Canadian state or something. Do you know if there's anything to that or is it just a typical uh, myth? Yeah, I don't know. I know the uh, the, the person who claims that and uh, I have actually I have no uh, no comment on it, no theory, you know. It's uh, it's better to, it could be true or it could be not be true, but uh, the the persons have absolutely nothing to fear because uh, the province will not confiscate it. It's mm. 
was found too early before the, those laws were in place. So yeah. anyone who has it can keep it. Uh, But finding it, do you think finding it would change? Would that be enough to define as a real thing or would they still want to wait to <laughs> a menorah or something pops up? <laughs> no, if, if it can prove that it's not fake, you know, if yeah. it can prove that it's uh, early work somehow, maybe microscope or so on, then it, then it would be uh, at least extremely important to the Nova Scotia heritage. Hmm. Uh, you know, this, uh, the Nova Scotia heritage situation around this is extremely important. It's so important that, uh, you know, this is, this is the, uh, it's almost like it's the, the national historical mystery of whole Canada. Yeah. It's so galling, you know, but no one here in Sweden knows about it at all. No one. In Norway, you know, because of Peter's movies, uh, but no one here in Sweden, if I talk to anyone about Orkallen, they go, what? What do you, nobody knows about it. Right. It used to be like that in Norway too. It used to be, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we didn't, well, I guess some people who was very into pirate lore and stuff, treasure, pirate treasure lore, but most people didn't know. Now, uh, it's different. Uh, but you, you know, uh, you can see the writing on the wall, Daniel. You have to, Get your act together and get a book out very soon. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yes, of course. <laughs> or a film, a movie or a book, <laughs> or both. I, actually, I have uh, I have four times 1.5 hours just on the cryptographic work, PowerPoint, self-running. Wow. With, uh, with narration. So uh, wow. that's with the statistics and everything. It just goes through the whole chain. of. But it's not out yet, is it? No, it's not out. That's why I'm negotiations now. Right. Uh, so is it not? The, and it's not only the, the that cryptographic information. There's more than that. But uh, but it's it's a very very difficult project to realize at this point. That's why I'm negotiations many different parties to see how it, how it unfolds there. But uh, if it unfolds the way I want it, it's within a year, and there'll be prelims. Okay. Uh, does it include a multi work and different texts and stuff like that? Uh, yes. Uh, mm. Yes, it does. Uh, mm. I, I suspected as much. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in, and I'm trying to get as far away as possible from the Dan Brownish feeling of it. It's yeah. uh, it's, it's much much more uh, towards uh, you know proper cryptography with analysis and uh, logical uh, verification points and statistical uh, analysis so on. so boring to some but it's important to get away from the the Dan Brownish feeling of it you know even if if the context seems very Dan Brownish I have to get away from that in order to get investors you know yeah uh, but on the other hand Daniel I'd venture that uh Investors usually are not interested in lifting civilization. They're interested in money making. And remember the Don Brown thing had uh, it's a two-edged sword because on the one hand it made mainstream just a notion of these things. Esotericians knew about it all the time. I mean, back in the 80s, 90s, you remember Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and of course before that too. But uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail was one of the first. I think popularization, one of the first pulp uh, 
uh, versions of this. And uh, then came Dan Brown later. You know, many I haven't mentioned now that Dan Brown built on, not just Holy Grail, Holy Blood. But when that book came, everybody, my my neighbor, and everybody was, you know, reading it. And now they know they don't have to understand it. They don't have to believe it. Mm. And that's, of course, why everybody started to diss it too, because it became too popular. You have to, you know how it works. If anything becomes too much of a fashion uh. all the naysayers and the critics and academics ah oh, no 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 the christians the skeptics everybody joined forces to crush it right so there was almost nobody left to defend something like that and of course the unfortunate effect of that is that when you then come afterwards with something genuine you just laughed away oh ha, ha, you've read too much damn brown sure yeah. but remember if it wasn't for that it maybe would be even harder because then people wouldn't even be conditioned to realize that this is a thing yes yes then it's yeah. just too it's like talking about aliens or something it's just yes, too but, out for that but, but there is a, there is a problem for me with, with that approach because my um my standpoint on this is that i have found something that it was actually created 450 years ago or almost mm. by bacon in his, in his group but it's so mm -hmm. subtle and the verification process is so long and complex that if, if I go in a 30-hour, 30-minutes PowerPoint right, lecture right. and I show it, and it but people say, yeah, th that looks interesting, but we have no idea that what you are saying is, is correct. How can right. we verify that? Right. We have to go through the whole process ourselves. No, yeah. th that's so it's a scholarly process then. The scholarly process, and it needs to be because it is a historical thing. I need to, I need to project it like that. Mm. And if I go, you know, have some guy like Dan Brown write, uh, <laughs> ghostwrite my story <laughs> yeah. around it, mm. I would just, okay, maybe I sell books, but then it would just be forgotten or be like fiction or something. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want it to be like that because it's not fair to the historical project, you know, No. in my but, belief. No, but uh, I'm with you there. No, no, I'm just saying, I'm not saying do a Dan Brown, but I'm saying... It's not just negative what what came what he 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 paved the way for though. But a, a natural question to ask you concerning this then is that when this is out, will that in any way contribute to ease the search for for this uh, ever riddled uh, treasure? Uh, yes, it will. Huh. Uh, I very much hope so. So. Uh... I mean, then uh, the Laginas should invite you back, for sure. Are you on good terms with them, the History Channel people? Yeah, I, th I think so. Yes, it's uh, you know, it's it's a complicated thing to uh, you know to approach them. It is, but uh, but it's we're on good terms, absolutely. Yeah, good. There's no conflict or anything like that. No, but the thing is, uh, when you, when it's out there, they would be briefed. They would be made aware of this, right? Yes, as soon as possible, you know, they, they, yeah. they, uh, they own you know, parts of this historical project because it's located on their island, you know, mm. so, uh, and the other parts. Is oh, so there's three owners, the Laginas, the Blankenship and Nolan. And Robert Young and uh, another one. Oh, there's, oh, there's, there's that many. Oh. Yeah, there's a few others that have uh, island lots as well. I know, I know they have a mason on that team, or actually maybe two. Are any of them, they just team members or any of them owners? Do you know that? 
there are not owners, I think. I don't know if there are any Masons that are owners. Yeah, well, one of them, I think, followed you to the Masonic. I think he made a connection to the Masonic Lodge library that you visited in the episode, remember? You mean Kel? I guess yeah. I guess it's Kel. I don't know the names. Yeah, but he's not owner. He's friend of Charles Barkhouse, though. Okay. But... Uh, He's he's one of the guys writing the book about the stone. Ah. He's a very very nice guy. I like Kel a lot. You know, he's a very mm. very nice guy and he's very interested in. Um, in uh, yeah, he's one of the masons who realizes what this is about. <laughs> yes, yes, he's a very very high up mason. I think he's thirty two, thirty second degree. So, he's he's a very nice guy actually. Mm. So no, well, I said to Peter, <laughs> you should contact, you should talk to all the masons in the world and uh, see if uh, they can make some crowdfunding because allegedly the masons have money, but uh, I don't know. But uh, just to wrap this up, uh, what about the treasure itself? Do you have any thoughts about what that can be? Uh, I believe it's something that was inherited by uh, Bacon got entrusted to lead a group to protect this within a, a mechanical uh, system. And uh, I believe it's uh, the Shakespeare manuscripts is the bait for future people to go to look for this. Ah, okay. One of the baits, one of mm. the baits, mm. uh, not, uh, not all of them. But, and um, and it's, uh, it's esoteric. It could be esoteric prints. It could be artifacts. It could be religious artifacts of gold. Uh, or some other very, uh, you know, valuable metal or something that could be, if it come in the wrong hands, it would melt it down and sell the gold and stuff. Mm. And this is why they need this protection system to get the right people to find it. Mm. Uh, so, it, well, it could be pedestal, it could be the menorah, that is the, of course, I don't know, but... Yeah, but, you know, both the menorah and the ark are also said to be, many people believe they are technologies from an antediluvian civilization, like the ever-burning lamp and the ark is... I will not go that far, though. (laughs) No, I know, I know, but many people do, because if you, you, it's radioactivity, we don't have time even to cover that now, but, uh, you know, it could be anything, and I hope, my personal favorite, what I hope is part of this is old, old books, documents from, let's say, the Alexandria Library, something that survived that tells us about our unknown, riddled yes. ancient history. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be interesting and indeed, actually. And that's not far-fetched, because we know that uh, Templars and others, first of all, they were interested in that, and they were at the right place at the right time to get hold of stuff like that. So. Mm. Yes, and uh, but, but one attribute that is... Um, these object objects need to have, I think, if you consider the full project, is that they need to be in risk of being destroyed if found by the wrong people in mm. their time when they when they bury it. Mm. They need to be protected from people. That's an attribute. Mm. And then, if you if you think if that is an axiom for 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 theory, what it could be, mm. then it could be, of course, it could be. Uh, Forbidden knowledge, mm-hmm. like uh, forbidden uh, philosophical things, or, or religious artifacts, uh, of course. Or or weapons. Or weapons, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a huge range of speculations, but uh, you know, it's it's room for all of those. Uh, it substantiates a lot of possibilities. Yes, yes, it does. 
but it's um, yeah I think it's uh, th- this project is going to be world heritage it needs to be up on the world heritage list you know it's uh, mm. and uh, yeah we'll see what happens in the next year here yeah we'll do it's so interesting <laughs> I thank you a lot Daniel for for coming on and, and uh, giving us this update yes I Yes, I have to say that uh, when your material is out there, maybe we'll have you back and not to explain it. For <laughs> We can't sit 30 hours here and we don't have a visual help, but just to motivate people <laughs> to, to, to try to help them understand. Because I predict that even when you got it out there, you still need to do some enlightenment work about what it's all about. And, uh, you know, yeah. Yes, yes. The, yeah. yeah course so let's see yeah but it, it, will, it will come but we see the the next year here what happens you know yeah. so uh, no problem excellent okay. well uh, thank you for this time at least yes thank you very much for for being part of the show my pleasure so interesting okay and that's our program for today we will return to several of the topics touched upon in this forum, especially Francis Bacon and the Rosicrucian Project, the Knights Templars, and of course the Oak Island Mystery. Again, we apologize for the occasional jagged sound that we have no idea how happened and couldn't fix. But at least we're pleased with having salvaged the file from a worse condition. Now that summer's gone and winter is coming, we have to slow down production and so releases will be fewer and further between. Unfortunately, donations has dropped off and are more or less ceased, which doesn't help the situation. If we went commercial, like so many others, we would be able to deliver more and even better programs. So if you appreciate our show and its format, the one thing you can do to keep us going is to donate. For instance, if each subscriber donated just one dollar every month, just one, we could provide you with four programs a month of top quality. Speaking of donations, we want to give a shout out to our few female listeners. Because we've started out with somewhat nerdy topics that generally appeal more to the men, such as war history, 85% of our listeners are male. This will soon balance out, of course, as we in time get to cover a broader spectre of topics. However, the point is that we are shocked by the fact that among our sponsors, females make up half of the contribution. That's right, 15% of listeners, yet 50% of donations. I must admit it has turned my view on gender and stinginess upside down. So uh, I stand wiser and a big thanks to you, the forum females, you're super. That's it for me tonight. Hope you've been mystified, entertained and educated. Until next time, from the Borealis team and your sincere host, I'll be seeing you.
who is number one?